Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hmm. I'm angry. And I'm actually not angry that Travis Etienne was injured on Monday Night Football. Liz Frank injury, most likely out for the season. Foot surgery has either just happened or is about to happen. That's not why I'm angry. Though I will say that in the interview I have with Michael O'Connor, we both discussed why Travis Etienne was a smash pick in the fifth round of fantasy drafts. Obviously, that's no longer the case. We recorded this interview over the weekend. We did not expect that Travis Etienne was going to suffer a season-ending injury in the preseason on Monday Night Football, but here we are now. That's not why I'm angry. I'm angry at the victory-lapping James Robinson zealots. You know who you are if you're listening to this. You were taking James Robinson in the 7th and 8th round of drafts, ignoring history and assuming that you read the tea leaves. You are a soothsayer. Oh, please tell me, how did you know that Travis Etienne was going to completely buck the trend of first-round running backs? And that unlike pretty much every other first-round running back, that he wasn't going to get used? I, I don't get it, honestly. Travis Etienne had the best statistical profile in the draft class out of all the running backs. He was the highest-graded running back in this class by both NFL.com and PFF. That's right. The most reputable film grinders out there thought Travis Etienne was the best running back. So just because you spend too much time on Twitter and uh, Joe Fantasy in his basement is grinding away at YouTube clips and didn't like Travis Etienne's lateral agility. You know what? That doesn't matter. I, I don't even know what your qualifications are, but it turns out that the people that actually are doing this full time, looking at hundreds of running back prospects, all unanimously felt like Travis Etienne was the best running back in this class. I've done the analytics work. It backs it up. You can get the Breakout Finder app, and you'll see that Travis Etienne has the highest breakout rating out of any running back in this draft class. Now, there have been 14 running backs taken in the first round of the NFL draft this past decade. And on average, they have 17.9 opportunities per game as a rookie. That is 17.9, so about 18 combined carries plus targets. There is this false narrative going around that rookies don't get utilized, especially the rookie running backs going to be eased in. And, oh, they might be a league winner the final two or three weeks of the year, but you shouldn't expect much production before that. That is just patently false for a round one running back. I'm looking at the list right now of the 14 of them. David Wilson, bust. Five opportunities per game. Rashad Penny, bust. Seven and a half opportunities a game. So we have five and seven. The next worst was Mark Ingram with 13.5 opportunities per game as a rookie in 2011. We have Doug Martin, Trent Richardson, Ezekiel Elliott, Leonard Fournette, Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs. These are all running backs with over 20 opportunities a game as rookies. Even Clyde Edwards-Alaire. He's small. He's slow. Does not profile as a workhorse. It does not matter. In draft capital, we trust for these round one running backs. And Clyde Edwards-Alaire had over 18 opportunities per game with the Chiefs last year. Just because he burned you in fantasy and wasn't worth the 5th or 6th overall pick in your redraft league does not mean 
that he was underutilized. In fact, quite the opposite. Edwards Lair had incredible usage. Better usage than I expected, to be completely honest. 181 carries, 55 targets in only 13 games. So for people to just write off Travis Etienne when the only two players to average under 13 and a half opportunities a game were David Wilson and Rashad Penny, who just for starters, neither had the college production profile early in their careers like Travis Etienne had from his from his freshman and sophomore year, but also they weren't pass catchers like Etienne. When you're not a pass catching running back, if you fail on the ground, you fail. Etienne as a pass catcher is insulated. If he struggles to run the ball, that's okay. He can still get targets. It is nearly impossible outside of injury for these pass-catching running backs to fail. And I fully expected something like the Christian McCaffrey rookie year, give or take, where McCaffrey comes in, there's established veteran Jonathan Stewart, who had a highly productive and fantasy-relevant season in 2016. 2017 comes along, and you know what? Jonathan Stewart did not fade away. He had just over 200 touches. So sure, maybe James Robinson would get 200 touches, but Jonathan Stewart, because he wasn't getting the ca- the catches, those went to McCaffrey. Just like we don't, we wouldn't have pre-ETN injury, no one thought James Robinson was getting a lot of the targets. And Jonathan Stewart with over 200 touches in 2017, splitting work with Christian McCaffrey, Jonathan Stewart had under eight fantasy points per game. You can just get that production off the waiver wire. You couldn't even roster Jonathan Stewart that year. Christian McCaffrey, on the other hand, had over 14 fantasy points a game as a rookie. This is why we target the pass-catching running backs. And don't let ETN's injury distract you. The James Robinson drafters got here today from bad process. With that, let's start the show. Welcome to Code Breaker, presented by Underdog Fantasy. One year ago, Matt asked me to lead all DFS efforts for the 2020 season. At the time, I was COVID furloughed from my business analytics role with the San Diego Padres. It turns out, when a baseball team closes its stadium to all the fans, the guy who predicts Each game's attendance, me, gets let go. Fast forward a year, and I'm recording the 12th and final Codebreaker of the 2021 offseason. But don't worry, Codebreaker will return after the 2021 season ends. And during this season, you'll get to hear my voice and my thoughts two times per week, every week. I'll have a Monday show where I go over my initial reactions to DraftKings player salaries for the upcoming week. And I'll recap how the past week went, which players I expect to do well in my projections, and then games I'm targeting for the upcoming week. I'm also, and this one is a real treat, I'm also going to have a weekend show with Mike Randall, where we will discuss all the fantasy-relevant news from the past week and how it'll affect the players on Sunday, which will be beneficial for both the redraft and DFS crowds. Now, this final episode of Codebreaker, it is a redraft show, but before we spend 
the next couple hours making sure you're ready to crush your drafts. Best ball season is not dead yet. In fact, it's still alive and well in the Larky household. I'm starting to close in on my 150 max entries for Best Ball Mania. Underdog's flagship $25 Best Ball Tournament, where the winner gets $1 million. You've most likely seen a few dozen of these teams if you're following me on Twitter, at JLarkyTweets. I genuinely want to help other people improve their drafting and strategy, and following me on Twitter is a great place to see daily updates on both my analytics work as well as all of these draft results that I'm posting every single day. And one more time, you can find me on Twitter at JLarkyTweets. J-L-A-R-K-Y Tweets. Alert, alert. Back by popular demand, Underdog made their puppy tournament a trilogy. The Puppy 3 is a $5 tournament, only $5 to enter, and the winner takes home a cool $200,000. If you're new to Underdog, promo code UNDERWORLD gets new users a $25 deposit match. Promo code UNDERWORLD. I guarantee you will not find a more seamless mobile app experience for drafting than Underdog. I assure you, I have checked out many, 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 many platforms. And none come close to the smooth interface and rapid loading times of Underdog. Promo code UNDERWORLD. Really, it's crazy. I'm just thinking right now about how this last year has gone. And when Matt asked me a year ago to lead all of our DFS efforts for the 2020 season, at the time I had just launched my R coding course. And I know that you've heard me mention it before in the podcast, but a little backstory. I kind of knew that the the baseball industry wasn't doing particularly well before I was furloughed. Let's be honest. You can generally, I mean, for those of you that have been in a position like mine before, you see it coming. COVID happens, the Padres start releasing these press releases that, uh, sorry, the office is closed, we're not going to have fans this year, and I'm starting to look at the the half dozen projects on my list go, they slowly start ticking away, can't do this project, can't do that project, and about four weeks before I was actually furloughed, I began working on my passion project. It's something that I'd been thinking about for years before. It kind of started in grad school, where I felt like the way that analytics and coding were taught was just not as efficient as it could be, and the data sets were boring. I didn't want to learn with housing price data. I wanted to learn with football data, or baseball data, or another sport that I was interested in. Once I knew that the furlough was coming, for those first few weeks before it happened, and then the next three months after it happened, I worked tirelessly all day every day to create thatrcodingsite.com. It's like the letter R, like a pirate, R, thatrcodingsite.com. I'm going to teach you the free programming language R for analytics. You just have to pay the course fee. The programming language is free. The data that I provide you is all free. And I help explain where you can get really good football data from for your projects and your research. If you want to improve at fantasy football, if you just want to learn to code in analytics in general, and have a transferable skill set to either level up in your career, pivot careers, I cannot recommend my course enough. At this point, we've had over 200 people enrolled, and I've had nothing but great things heard from the people that have taken it. I think it's because I was, in one, I guess, sort of fortunate in a sense to be furloughed because I had the $1,000 unemployment, so I didn't have to worry about where my next meal was coming from, luckily, for those three months. And I just spent, literally, you can ask my girlfriend, 
and all those late nights. I spent all day, every day for three straight months, pouring my heart and soul into making the best coding course on the market for brand new beginners. You don't need any experience at all. None. ThatArCodingSite.com promo coupon code breaker. All one word, lowercase, code breaker. will get you 12% off your purchase. Also, after listening to this podcast, if you haven't already, get the world famous draft kit on playerprofiler.com. You'll get our top 300 rankings for PPR, half PPR, standard scoring, as well as our top 300 for Superflex. Plus, you get auction values for all those formats. You get my projections for every player in the draft kit. And you get our team insights and trends. As if that wasn't enough, you get dozens of cameo videos from industry celebrities discussing their favorite players and their 2021 outlooks for them. Oh, and for the best ball crowd, you get my top 200 rankings for best ball on Underdog. All the rankings and projections can be downloaded too. Get the world famous draft kit today on playerprofiler.com. Now let's turn our attention to Redraft and our special guest for today's episode, summer analytics intern Michael O'Connor. He's one of the sharpest drafters I know, and he's a consultant with Player Profilers Fantasy Intelligence Network. And you can find him on Twitter. This one's this one's a mouthful. It'll be in the 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 show description wherever you get your podcast at m o'connor underscore o seven one three at m o'connor underscore o seven one three m o c o n n o r underscore o seven one three. Wow, dude, what a handle! But now with a heavy heart and tears in these sentimental eyes. For the final time in 2021, I'm asking all the Codebreaker listeners to give me 10 seconds to get my man Michael on the line and get those heads bouncing in anticipation. I'm joined now by our summer analytics intern, Michael O'Connor who is also part of playerprofiler.com's Fantasy Intelligence Network. So if you're looking for a fantasy football consultant to help you win your league, Michael O'Connor is probably the guy for you. And if you want to follow him on Twitter, which, I mean, you should be following him on Twitter already. He's very active there. But if you're not, you can rectify that at M-O-C-O-N-N-O-R underscore 0713. M O'Connor underscore 0713. It's a mouthful. I'm sure you can find Michael on Twitter. Michael, how are you doing today? Talk to me. Uh, I'm doing I'm doing well, Josh. You know that this is what I've been looking forward to this entire summer. I have been that guy in the back that's doing all the work, but now I get to be on stage. Now I get to have all the bright lights shining on me. Get the guest on Codebreaker. Thanks for having me, Josh. Um, I'm super excited for what we have cooked up today. Yeah, we have, uh, we have quite the show cooked up. This is the type of show, whether you're listening to this to kind of, if you're trying to speed cram because you don't really like fantasy football, you just like winning. So you kind of do your research two weeks before the season. We've got you. I don't really respect your process, but <laughs> you should learn a lot from this. And if you're the type of person who's been grinding throughout the summer on their redraft research, you'll still learn a whole lot and feel even more prepared for your drafts. And I actually remember when... It was our first interview together. 
uh, one thing I was struck by was you were really well-spoken. You knew literally everything that I could potentially throw at you. And uh, you, you mentioned that you really wanted to do some type of podcasting or be in front of a camera or something like that and being able to share your knowledge and teach people what you know about fantasy in that way. So I feel like this is kind of the perfect culmination of your summer. So for people to understand a little bit more about who Michael O'Connor is, where are you going to college and what are you studying right now? So I currently am a senior. This is my third year, but I, I was a nerd in high school. I took AP credits. So yeah, that was I was that kid. But um, I am a sport <laughs> analytics major here at Syracuse University. It's the only undergraduate major of its kind where I basically am that guy. I'm Jonah Hill from Moneyball. For those of you who are, have seen Moneyball before, you know exactly who I'm talking about. That is basically what I do currently, but I'm hoping to eventually move into the, the entertainment space and attend a new house, which is the School of Communications here at Syracuse University and look for a graduate degree in broadcast and digital journalism. That's basically what I study um, on the, in my free time. I am, a football, I am the president of the Football Analytics Club. So football is pretty much my passion. If you watch Ted Lasso, I am basically football is life, you know? <laughs> so that's me. So what I'm taking from that is for everyone listening out there, this is probably not the, the last time that they will be hearing your voice in some type of sports capacity then. So hopefully the first of many. This is a fantasy football show, though. How long have you been playing fantasy football? Because you have quite the extensive uh, track record for someone who has just hit age 20. So uh, how long have you been <laughs> playing and what got you started in uh, fantasy football, football in general? Yeah, it's kind of funny how I'm entering my professional fantasy football life as I'm leaving my teens. But I entered the fantasy football stage when I entered my teen years. It was 2013. My dad and I decided to join a home league and just, I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but the team that I had this year, I'm going to go through the quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends. You can look up the 2013 PPR rankings after this, if you want, because this team was stacked and just the names should, should tell you enough. So our quarterbacks in 2013 were Drew Brees and Phillip Rivers. Our running backs, the major ones were Reggie Bush, Matt Forte, and Joyke Bell. Our wide receivers were Megatron, Demarius Thomas, Jordy Nelson, Josh Gordon, and Antonio Brown. And our tight ends were Jimmy Graham and Julius Thomas. The one-hit wonder, Julius Thomas. You got the the double-digit touchdown season. I had an amazing year. It was, unfortunately, it was like a $25 buy-in. But if that's the one where I wish it was like a high-stakes league because I would have made bank in my first year in fantasy football. But from then... Obviously, not every season can be like that, but I got the bug. I was hooked. And since then, I've had a couple of championships under my belt, hoping hoping to help people get some under their belts, though, with that Fantasy Intelligence Network. Shameless plug. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that seems like a, it's a pretty sweet roster. For those out there, Michael and I will be drafting a high-stakes team in a couple weeks, and I'm really hoping that the final product of our roster looks just like that 2013 <laughs> team. So I'm hoping that we can have the wide receiver one, two, three, four from that year. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Uh, one more thing. So you told a very interesting story during your first interview about how you first got hooked on football and understanding the game. Why don't you share that story with, with the viewers out there? Because that was something that really struck me. And when you told Matt, I know he was pretty blown away and felt like it was just, uh, it's kind of a unique way to really get 
super into football. So my, my father, David O'Connor, he shout out dad when you're listening to this, but there you <laughs> yeah, go. shout hey, out dad. dad. There you go. Um, <laughs> when I was, when I was a kid, again, around the same time that we had this team going, I we used to watch football all the time together and I'd be in my parents' room. It was a Sunday night football game uh, that was played between the Dallas Cowboys and the New York Giants. And for the entire first quarter, I swear, my dad put the TV on mute and it was essentially as if I had Chris Collinsworth in the room with me, just telling me exactly what was happening as it happened. And then he'd unmute it and Collinsworth would just say whatever he said, but after the play unfolded. So it was like Tony Romo before Tony Romo came on the scene and started being the the predictive wizard that he was. But seeing my dad do that really it sparked something inside of me because my dad used to work with the, with the Miami dolphins. He was involved in the national football league. And I always kind of had that interest on the back burner, but it wasn't until that night watching the Cowboys and the giants and seeing him just perfectly predict and explain in detail to somebody. I was a kid. I'm for those listening. You can't see me. I'm five, six. I'm not the biggest kid. I never played football. I never had that interest in and or knowledge about football, but watching him, explained to me in a way that I could understand it was something that I really wanted to to be able to do in the future. And hopefully uh, after I graduate from Syracuse and hopefully after this internship, I can launch into a space where I can explain that and I can provide that same experience to the casual fantasy footballer. So that is my, that is my story as to how I, I really stepped into football and knew that that's where I wanted to end up. I like it. I think the, the logical next step is during this show, you're going to have to let everyone know exactly where everyone's going to finish in PPR, half PPR scoring. <laughs> so I think that's going to be the final test. Am I going to get a, a Fantasy Pros Accuracy Trophy for this? Is, is that, yes, is that how will. that's going to work, Josh? You'll get, you'll get a virtual high five for this one. So that's before cool. we uh, dive fully into the show sheet, last thing, tell everyone about a, a couple highlights of your summer so far. Because I know a lot of people out there are wondering, what is a a summer analytics intern with Roto Underworld and Player Profiler. What is that person doing? So just tell us a a couple nuggets that are very memorable for you where you'll be able to draw on them in future interviews, something like that, or just enhanced your understanding of fantasy football. I think the biggest takeaway from this summer that I've had is growing more confident in the fact that the work that I do matters. So before in fantasy football, If I were to research an idea, I'd be like, oh, that's cool, but who is that going to help? And now that I've had this platform and I'm surrounded by people that are supportive and be like, hey, man, this is really good work. Being able to put that out there and feeling confident about it is probably one of the best takeaways from this summer. In terms of the work that I've done, I have a couple of articles written on the site, the first of which was talking about the hero RB strategy. This was right around when the RB dead zone was starting to hit mainstream Twitter and everybody was going crazy. Everybody needed a, needed a dead zone article on their site. Uh, I tried to get ahead of the curve there. I don't, I don't think I got quite ahead of it, but we, we definitely tapped into um, the different types of strategies that you can work with in terms of whether or not zero RB is a viable strategy or my preferred strategy of hero RB, which is more of a moderate approach to trying to wait on running back value. That was the first article I wrote. It was really really cool to have something on a site that I could send to family. I could send to friends. I had a link that was like, Hey guys, I'm, I'm official. Like I made it. That was my, I made it moment. 
then from there, being in the Scott Fish Bowl was, was such a great experience. I wrote an article about kickers. I, I'd recommend reading it, but at this point, Scott Fishbowl already passed, so you, you can see if I was right or not <laughs> at, after the, at the end of the season. Um, the, the most recent article, though, was a stacking article in response to Josh's stacking article in Best Ball that Neil and I wrote, where I was taken aback by the Google Doc titled, Why My Boss is Wrong. <laughs> that, was, that was an interesting one to receive in the, in the inbox but writing that article and being able to come to the conclusion and have a breakthrough even that stacking might be better in redraft than it is in best ball was a pretty cool conclusion to come to. For the past month, though, I've been working mainly in projections and helping out with auction values. We're going to dive more into that later. I'm the auction and keeper go-to guy, but really helping people both in the DMs, working behind the scenes on the projections. Those have been just a few of the of the things that I've been doing these past couple of months. It's been a good summer. It's been a great summer. And, uh, for a little more context that why my boss is wrong. So I wake up on, it was either Saturday or Sunday morning, and the other analytics intern, Neil Gupta, has written a five-page Google Doc titled Why My Boss is Wrong, basically <laughs> outlining some thoughts on why he thinks that not only is stacking good in best ball, but it's good in redraft. So then the two of you collaborated, wrote that article. It's one of the the two or three best articles that I've read all summer, honestly. And one of the reasons for that actually is if you go to that stacking and redraft article, which I'll put the, the link in the actual podcast description for that, you can see Michael's interactive visualizations where you can actually play around and select and unselect different QB receiver pairs to you yourself visualize the type of fantasy points you're getting where you could say, what happens if I drafted uh, Mahomes and DK Metcalf? What it, what does this look like? What if I had Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf? What did this look like on a weekly basis and a season-long basis? So I thought that was just a super killer article to be just in general. And then I personally hadn't seen that type of interactive visualization before. So hats off to you. I still don't know how you made that. So you're gonna have to share that secret sauce before the end of the summer. And then, <laughs> And then one other thing is that this, this is a nice show sheet. We're going to hit everything redraft and we will discuss some of our favorite stacks later on. So we will hit all the good stuff for you. And you might be wondering why, why is this a redraft show? Why is Michael on this show? This is a redraft show because August is redraft season. The NFL season is starting in about three weeks. Everyone's drafting right now. And out of my, my circle of trust, if there's someone that I think is an incredible drafter in fantasy football who knows what they're doing, well-versed in every strategy, it's Michael. I get a lot of DMs from people out there. Most of them require a lot of a lot of my time, and I don't always have that time. So what I do when I don't have that time is I just throw in Michael's at, and I'll say, Michael is the best fantasy player I know. <laughs> I'd recommend reaching out to him. And pretty much every single time I do that, the next day I get a DM back that says, wow, thanks for introducing me to Michael. He gave me incredible advice, which is exactly what you want to hear. That, that's high praise. That's That might be my new favorite takeaway from the summer. You probably should have led with that. And then I could have <laughs> answered the question. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I actually shared that with you, but yeah, pretty much every single time that I, I know that you get tons of those requests from me where people are like, Oh, uh, Josh referred me to you. Yeah. They pretty much always then DM me a day or two later and they say, wow, Michael, and he went above and beyond. He answered exactly what I needed. So that right there should be more than enough. If you're on the fence, fantasy intelligence network on playerprofiler.com. 
and you might get matched up with Michael. Thanks, Josh. I, I will say real quick before we continue, for everybody that was giving Mr. Larky some heat about um, not responding to those Twitter DMs. Now, rather than just leaving you on red, he'll he'll just send them my way. So I, I feel like a little bit of vindication is deserved here for Josh because I know you caught some flack for saying that. I think there was a tweet a couple of a couple of months ago, probably, where somebody was yeah who who didn't follow you was asking you for advice. At that point, come to me. I got I, I'm the I'm the intern. That's my job. So. Yeah, I cannot tell you how many people that are not following me on Twitter will hop into the DMs and send me a question that requires 15 or more minutes of my time. And I just don't have that kind of time in August. I'm sorry, the DMs are open, but I have to manage my time. And I mean, if I'm spending 15 minutes a day answering each DM and I'm getting 20, 30 DMs a day, it's going to be really difficult for me to continue to make tools for the masses. So that's basically why if you DM me, I always get back to you, but if I get back to you the, the next day, the next week, that is why. It, it is nothing personal. It is purely how am I actually able to get my job done? You're a busy man. Busy man, Josh. Gotta, I got to keep drafting those best ball teams. What can I say? But <laughs> anyway, this is, this is not a best ball show. I actually got a couple of comments on that on Twitter when we discussed this show. And I said, hey, everyone, get your comments in. We want to try and tackle pretty much everything that you're, you guys are interested in regarding redraft which is why we wanted to make sure to hit on stuff like auction strategy and so i i got uh, a couple of people that said hey can you talk about just redraft because i can't play best ball i'm in x state underdogs not available and i mean poor one out for those states but this is for you every state can play some nice basic redraft you and your office co-workers you and your friends you online on <laughs> uh whether it's FFPC, Yahoo, ESPN, whatever sleeper there. There are so many league sources out there, whatever you you're on, this show is going to help you. So we're going to get into general draft strategy from there. We're actually going to go round by round and touch on a few players in each of the first eight rounds that we feel we're above or below consensus on. That way you can have a general plan of some players to target in each round. From there, we're going to discuss our late round targets and our late round fades because Yes, it's good. You should really nail your draft. Those first eight rounds are essential. Those are your starters. But also the depth is important. And as we all know from playing fantasy, uh, I mean, I haven't had a, a year ever where the first eight guys I drafted were the eight guys I started in the championship week. So that's really why we want to hit on those late targets and those late fades. And then from there, we're going to discuss a little bit of uh, a couple kickers we like, a couple defenses we like with favorable opening schedules some stacks to target and which rounds you'll grab those players in. And then we're going to discuss some keeper and auction league strategies. So we are going to hit on everything that is everything that is out there. Honestly, I can't really think of too everything much. Everything redraft, really everything redraft that we could think of and put on a show sheet. That's where we got cooked up. I just wanted to tap into Michael's mind as much as possible. So let's get <laughs> right into this. Michael, get us started on some general draft strategy. So when I approach a draft, I'm going to hit you guys with a Billy Bean quote. Again, Moneyball reference. It's, it's who I am. It's part of my identity. <laughs> when Billy Bean approaches MLB free agency, he says he has a shopping spree list that has five principles on it. One of those principles is that change is always good. When I approach a fantasy football draft, I obviously have strategies in mind. I'm not coming in blind. 
I'm coming in with an expectation of what I hope that draft becomes. But I also understand because of experience in fantasy drafting, I'm waiting on a guy for about two rounds and he gets picked two spots before me. The amount of times that you get sniped, it's inevitable. It, it is inevitable that your draft will not go according to plan. So you cannot let that derail you. You have to g- approach the draft, not with a set in stone. This is how my draft is going to go. And if it doesn't go that way, then I'll be damned. You have to approach it with a fluid sort of strategy. So we have robust RB, zero RB, balanced approaches, a plethora of, of tools in our little toolkit of fantasy drafting that allows you to succeed in the draft. If you come in with one in mind, sure, that's great. You can have a preference. I'm not saying that you don't want to have any idea of what you want to do in a fantasy draft. You just have to be willing to change and understand that change can always be good. That is my number one rule when drafting. I'll talk about robust RB and zero RB quickly because I think that there's a lot of extreme strategies out there. There's a lot of misunderstandings about how to optimally set up these strategies. And I think that in redraft with robust RB, sometimes when people hear robust RB, they think they're just pounding running backs into oblivion and that you're shrinking the running back pool by doing robust RB. And they'll go four or five running backs in a row to start their draft. And spoiler alert, we don't recommend four or five running backs in a row to start your draft, you're probably missing out on a pretty incredible tight end, some wide receiver values. Most leagues even, unless you're in some super unique starting roster setting, you can't even start more than three running backs in most leagues. Usually it'll be two running backs and then a flex you could start one. So why are you taking with your fourth round pick, fifth round pick, players that you just in no world can start week one? So a robust OB, a robust RB type start would be like Dalvin Cook, Najee Harris, DeAndre Swift. You bang out three running backs in the first three rounds. You have your RB1, RB2, and then you have a flex play. Then you can move on to other positions, and you might only take one more running back the rest of the draft. Maybe even none. And that those are your three right now, and you'll get another one on waivers. Then there's zero RB. We really recommend this in the later half or later third of the first round. So this is something where you could start off uh, like Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, Stephon Diggs, Calvin Ridley. You grab an elite receiver in the first round. Then you could follow that up with someone like a Darren Waller. So you get an elite receiver, elite tight end. Then you could go C.D. Lamb in the third, Tyler Lockett in the fourth. And then you can always consider pivoting and grabbing someone like Travis Etienne in the fifth round. When we say zero RB and redraft, yes, you can make it super extreme. You can wait till the 10th round. Can it work? Maybe. However, Unless you are truly the most hardcore sicko who's going to be grinding the waiver wire for hours and hours and hours every single week, trying to perfect how much fab to spend on every single player each week, we don't really recommend that strategy. It can work, but I'd say it's much better to just not thread the needle than that if you're in the fifth round and you've already maxed out your receiver spots and then an ETN is there, you should just take that guy. So those are the kind of our ideas of when people mention robust RB, zero RB, what we think about that. And then Michael, why don't you discuss some of these more balanced approaches? Yeah, for sure. Before I before I get to that balanced, a note about how change can always be good with that strategy. If you're drafting zero RB and you get to the fourth round and DeAndre Swift is still on the board, throw the strategy out the window. Take DeAndre Swift. That is a value. That is somebody that that's that's where change can be good. That's why these strategies are great to have but it's not a gospel. It's not, you don't have to live by them in the draft. My favorite type of draft 
is approaching with a balanced strategy because I feel it's the easiest one to modify as I go along. What I mean by that is when I start, I like to take either a solid running back or a solid receiver in that first round. I'm not a big Travis Kelsey first round guy. We'll get into that later, but I'm thinking of an Aaron Jones, Dalvin Cook, if I have the 102, that's a no brainer or Devontae Adams with my receivers. If I want to go a heavy receiver build in the second round, I'm looking at for that Aaron Jones build, I'll probably go Darren Waller round two, get myself a solid tight end. Then I'll probably go pretty heavy at the wide receivers between Allen Robinson, Deontay Johnson, and Odell Beckham Jr. with a nice little taste of Travis Etienne in there. I know he's our favorite fifth round guy that we have going forward. Uh, my Dalvin Cook roster is probably going to go Dalvin Gibson, double tap running back super early, have that position locked up and go for the correlation with Terry McLaurin, same team, later on hitting more receivers with Tyler Lockett, T Higgins, and then getting that quarterback wide receiver stack between Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett. Those are the types of builds that I think are perfect for your team. When I approach my Devontae Adams team, I'm probably thinking Devontae Adams round one, come back the turn with DeAndre Hopkins, really solidify those alpha receivers on my team. And if I reach towards the end of the third round and DeAndre Swift is on the board, I might then double tap running back, go DeAndre Swift and take Miles Sanders in the fourth round. And as I approach the fifth, this is a perfect spot, I think, to not only get the mobile quarterback upside, but also get the upside of a quarterback stack with Kyler Murray before taking my favorite tight end of the draft, who I think is my player on underdog with the highest exposure, TJ Hawkinson. Every, all the cards are falling in place for him to have a great year. But those are the types of builds where within the first six rounds or so, you not only have your starting quarterback and your starting tight end, but you've spread the wealth evenly between your running backs and your wide receivers. You want to make sure that when you draft your starters, you're drafting players that will actually start. When you have your, your moderate builds and your balance con team constructions, these are the types of players, and this is the type of build that I think is going to win you a lot of leagues. Yeah, I think that if you want, you can always re you can pause, rewind, listen to those teams again that Michael laid out. Those are the types of teams that you can pretty easily build. And we're, we're going to go round by round in a few minutes. That way you can hear a few more ideas of players that you should likely be targeting that we think have a really strong chance to not only meet, but exceed their ADP. One other thing before we get into round by round is the, the tight end strategy. I know everyone always talks about that. So there's the big three, of course, where there's Kelsey, who's going in round one. Waller is going round two. George Kittle is generally going either round two or early round three. Out of those big three, we prefer Darren Waller. Darren Waller, uh, when I did projections, came out closer to Travis Kelsey in projections with fantasy points per game than he did George Kittle. Because Darren Waller, believe it or not, had the highest target share out of any tight end last year. Higher than Kelsey. He had a higher percent of Derek Carr's pass attempts going to him than Travis Kelsey did with Mahomes' pass attempts. And the, the Raiders, they may not be quite as high volume as the Chiefs. Mahomes might not be, or Mah Derek Carr might not be quite as good as Mahomes, but the opportunity cost of round one to round two is so different, especially if you're going running back. If you're able to start with a Dalvin Cook, Darren Waller beginning, there isn't really a running back that you can pair with Kelsey that looks as strong as that. So that's why at Player Profiler, we really feel like Darren Waller is the big three tight end to target. 
Let's say that you don't go big three. It's okay. In the fifth or sixth round, there's TJ Hawkinson. Just a total animal. He looks a lot like the 2018 George Kittle, where people say, oh, no, 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 bad team. Yeah, we know he's probably going to get a lot of targets, but no, 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 but bad team. And we all saw what happened. George Kittle, who was a very good tight end, took advantage of the opportunity with nobody else in San Francisco, even playing with scrub quarterbacks and put up an incredible tight end season and kind of vaulted himself into that upper echelon with the Travis Kelsey type. I think TJ Hawkinson, he he looks, if anyone's going to be in line to make that leap, it is him. There's also Mark Andrews, who's available at a similar point. And we've warmed up to him a little bit with the Rashad Bateman injury, the Marquise Brown injury. It's starting to look like there's just nobody alive in Ravens camp aside from, I mean, even, I don't remember what it was, but I swear Sammy Watkins had something come up with his leg or something like that. So it's really the walking dead in Baltimore. So Mark Andrews becoming a little more appealing as well, fifth or sixth round. But if you miss out on those guys, you should just wait on tight end. Michael, who do you like in those later rounds if you're the, oh, I'm just going to wait on tight end? Who, who are you potentially targeting that has a chance to be a difference maker where you pick them up on waivers, or you draft them into your draft, and that you don't end up immediately dropping them? within the first couple of weeks. Give us a few names. When I get to that range of tight ends, if I haven't taken Hawkinson and I haven't taken one of those big three, your tight end is the last pick before your kicker in your defense, or even could be after those guys. If you, if you are the last person to take a tight end, but the names that I like to see there are guys that are either on high powered offenses that could see red zone targets for a team that will be in the red zone a lot, or similar to that Hawkinson type of role where there's just nobody else around to catch passes. The names that I really like this season would be Gronk, Blake Jarwin in that Dallas offense, and similar to that TJ Hawkinson type of role and Adam Troutman later on in the draft. I think that he's somebody who, given the lack of pass catchers currently in New Orleans, he could seriously benefit from seeing a lot of those maybe Taysom Hill targets in the, in the red zone for the Saints. <laughs> Let's dive in. People want to hear those first eight rounds. Who are a couple guys that we're targeting in each round? Actually, before I get into that, one other thing I'll mention with the tight end is that the more research we and other people out there do, the more important it is when you're taking those flyers that the good offense is important. And that's why Michael mentioned Rob Gronkowski, Blake Jarwin. Uh, three years ago, it was Eric Ebron who had double-digit touchdowns out of nowhere on a, an explosive offense. Last year, it was Robert Tunyon on Green Bay who had the double-digit touchdowns. So these kind of guys, they happen most years. And we feel like Gronk Jarwin, those are kind of the guys that could sneak into that role where next, you know, you blink and they've got 11 receiving touchdowns on the year. And pretty much every week you start them, you get a touchdown and you're happy. Round one, Michael, start us off. Give us uh, a couple guys that you're, you're targeting in the first round and where you might be targeting them. And then a couple guys that you're generally avoiding based on where they go in drafts. So I'll start by saying that the 101 and 102 are pretty much set in stone in any fantasy draft. It's Christian McCaffrey and Dalvin Cook in that order. Anything that is different than those two, you take the one that's still available to you if you're the 103. It, no question. No question you take one of those. But looking at the remaining players in the first round, if a player isn't mentioned, by the way, for each of these rounds, that doesn't mean that we don't like these players. And it also doesn't mean that we like hate these players. It just means that they're fine. We don't really have a stance on them. But for the players that I really love in the first round, where more often than not, I have pretty high exposure to them, I'm going to go with Saquon Barkley and Austin Eckler. 
Now, when Barkley has been healthy, he has never been worse in fantasy points per game than the RB7 overall. He has always been a top running back when he's been healthy. And I understand that there's concern with him coming off an injury. I understand that people were worried about the pup list. First of all, if you were worried about the pup list, reveal yourself. It's it's okay. I just want to know. I just want to know. I'm not mad. I'm not mad at all. I just want to help you going forward to not make the same mistake again because Saquon, when he is healthy, is a baller. Saquon is going to surprise a lot of people who were worried about him this season when he ends up as another top five running back. The other guy that I really love, who unfortunately I had so much exposure to before he got injured, I just mentioned him, Austin Eckler, the receiving back king, in my opinion. And that doesn't just come with with the visuals or that doesn't come with the eye test. That comes with the fact that out of all running backs last year, he was third in the league in target share. And that's including running backs like J.D. McKissick, who when he played, he received a lot of targets, and and Alvin Kamara, who let's remind everybody was the running back one last season because he just was a funnel for all of the targets in new Orleans. I think that without Hunter Henry in that system, there's a new, well, not a new dump off target, but those dump offs from Justin Herbert are just going to go to Austin Eckler more often than not. And I think that Eckler, yes, there are concerns about his bell cow role. I think his receiving work makes up more than enough to draft him over somebody in the first round that I don't like. And that's Derrick Henry. I think that Derrick Henry is somebody where if you're drafting him in your leagues, you're drafting a player at their absolute ceiling. Last season, Derrick Henry had 2,000 yards and I think 18 total touchdowns and still was the running back three overall in PPR formats. He is somebody where if he has a historic rushing season, he's not breaking into that top five this season. Unless he, unless he gets 2,000 yards again and has 15-plus touchdowns, there is no path to Derrick Henry being a top five PPR running back. There are paths for Austin Eckler and Saquon Barkley receiving running backs in offenses where the quarterback will more often than not find them as targets. Those are the guys that I like over Derrick Henry. Yeah, so I think one thing to add, because one criticism that I hear about Austin Eckler is people will say, oh, but he's not going to get the 300 carries that Derrick Henry's going to get. If you're playing in a PPR league, if we look at running back carries and running back targets, one running back target is the same amount of fantasy points on average as two and a half running back carries. So what that means is if you have a running back, we have running back A, We'll call it, we'll call this person just the the handoff king. This person is getting 250 handoffs, 250 carries, no no passing game work. We have another guy. Basically, it's JD McKissick. Will not get a single carry, but gets a hundred running back targets. The 250 carries running back and the hundred targets running back should score a similar amount of fantasy points. So I think that's very important when you're thinking about your running backs that you're taking in fantasy and evaluating their touches. And we have it on playerprofiler.com. It's called weighted opportunities, where we weight targets and carries for you at the running back position. That way you can actually see what this workload is likely translating to for fantasy. And that, yes, you might get enamored that Derrick Henry has two, has two times the amount of uh, carries that an Austin Eckler might have. But if Derrick Henry has 25 targets and Austin Eckler has over 100 targets... Austin Eckler will probably outscore Henry and PPR. Even in half PPR leagues, where you only get half a point per reception, 
that running back target is still 1.9. So basically two times more valuable than the carry. That's why we can't stress this enough. You want your running back to have receiving upside, especially when you're grabbing them so early. I love taking Austin Eckler over Derrick Henry every day of the week. I think I'm in a keeper league with my college buddies. Hopefully they, they listen to this in two weeks after our draft. So that way then they don't get the advice because I can't let them have all the insider information, but there's a guy that has Derrick Henry and Austin Eckler as a keeper option in the first round. And I really hope he takes Henry. I really hope he takes Derrick Henry because I would love to let Austin Eckler fall to me. The other player that I'm not a major fan of in the first round is unfortunately Travis Kelsey. I'm not saying he's a bad football player and I'm not saying that he's a bad pick. He is a great pick. I just feel that I would rather have that stud running back or that stud receiver than that stud tight end that I can get around later in Darren Waller. Travis Kelsey and Darren Waller are a lot closer, or I think are going to be a lot closer this season than many people give Darren Waller credit for. And I know that I have a hot take prepared for the end of this episode, but I'm going to give a hot take now and say that I feel that drafting Travis Kelsey as early as we are is essentially the same thing that we did with Julio Jones, where we draft Julio because he's Julio, because he scores, because Julio Jones just has always scored. He will always score, and that's all that we know. I think that Travis Kelsey, I'm not saying I'm, that he's due, quote, because that's very anti-analytics, but, <laughs> but I am saying that his cost is too great for me to want to invest in him over guys like Saquon Barkley, over top receivers like Devontae Adams. Those are some of the guys that I'd like and don't like in the first round. Josh, what about you? So a few other names that I think you can target in the first round, early in the first round, mid first round. Ezekiel Elliott is just teed up to smash. He's on an incredible offense. They're very fast paced. He gets the carries. He even gets the targets. Yes, I think Tony Pollard is an incredible backup running back talent, but Ezekiel Elliott is still getting about twice as much receiving work as Tony Pollard, if we look at the past two seasons, which is Tony Pollard's career, Ezekiel Elliott's getting far more targets, far more receptions than Tony Pollard. So he still has that workhorse role locked down on an incredible offense. The Cowboys offensive line should be healed from last year because the the collapse of Ezekiel Elliott last year, it was not just an Andy Dalton problem. It was an offensive line problem where everyone was injured there was no quarterback, there were no offensive linemen, he was set up to fail. And this year, it looks like he's set up for success. And if there's a running back that we can confidently say is going to get 300 or more touches, Ezekiel Elliott's one of the select few we can say that for. Also, Devontae Adams, great pick. Uh, I actually just realized this recently. Per game last year, Devontae Adams even had more fantasy points than Alvin Kamara. Unbelievable. Even with Kamara's six-touchdown game, Adams, still more points per game. Whoa. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I just kind of assumed, I hadn't looked at the numbers because I just always was like, I knew they were both around 25 fantasy points a game and just kind of assumed Kamara was a little higher because he was a running back. And then when I actually looked at it, when all was said and done, I just could not believe it. So Devontae Adams. You can't see it, but my jaw dropped. That That's what that silence was there. That was from my jaw hitting the floor at that. Wow, less than how good. That's crazy. That's crazy. Couple other ones. Tyreek Hill's another receiver, I think, is a really good pick in the first round, kind of mid to late first. We don't have Sammy Watkins in there anymore. The the Chiefs wide receiver two is probably gonna be a rotation of 
Miko Hardman, Byron Pringle, Demarcus Robinson, a lot of wide receivers that are underwhelming, not well-rounded, and just not particularly good at football. So Tyreek Hill looks like all the steps that he took forward last year, he can even make more strides in the amount of targets that he's getting, improve his consistency, keep up those spike weeks he's known for. And then the other one is Aaron Jones, where Jamal Williams leaves, and now we have A.J. Dillon, who's probably going to get some goal line work. I'll be shocked if he doesn't. And I think that some people are fading Aaron Jones in the first round because of A.J. Dillon on the goal line carries. But mm-hmm. you have to remember, Jamal Williams is no longer there. And Jamal Williams was, he's kind of been a thorn in the side of Aaron Jones owners every single year where Aaron Jones is a top five running back. And people think, oh man, if Jamal Williams wasn't there, Aaron Jones could be the RB1 in fantasy. Well, wake up everyone. Jamal Williams is gone. Aaron Jones could lead all running backs and targets. At the very least, I think he's going to be top five to top seven. He's going to have an incredible season. He's got a great offensive line, a great quarterback. He's really set up for success. And then uh, my, my one fade was, Michael already touched on it. I think Derrick Henry as well is just someone that I have probably the least exposure to out of all of the first round players out there. I would say I just have the least amount of Derrick Henry because you know what? Even when he had his 2000 yard season last year, he wasn't really burying you. If you didn't have Derrick Henry, you could still win a fantasy championship last year. So if the guy that had 2,000 rushing yards and nearly 20 touchdowns didn't kill me in fantasy if I didn't have him, probably not going to target that guy this year because generally 2,000-yard rushers, uh, hint all of them, don't have 2,000 yards the season after. It's really difficult. You have to have perfect health. You have to run pure with offensive line. There's a lot of factors. It's probably not going to happen with Derrick Henry. Round two, Michael, what are you, who are you looking at in this, this second round and who are you generally fighting that you have less of in round two? So depending on my draft slot, if I have a late first round pick, I'm hitting that turn early. I am going with the wide receiver that saved my fantasy teams last year. And that's Calvin Ridley. Last year, I, my friend, Brendan Mortensen, good friend in college, shout out, Brendan. I'm going to listen to this. Uh, <laughs> he, he gave me a nice piece of advice that, 20 everybody does the who is this year's like James Robinson or Justin Jefferson last year it was who's going to be this year's Chris Godwin and we both agreed that Calvin Ridley the 2020 Calvin Ridley was the same player as 2019 Chris Godwin and boy did that take pay off in the end Calvin Ridley last season not only was one of the most dominant wide receivers in the game but that's both with Julio Jones and without Julio Jones so when Julio Jones left that Atlanta offense I think that it actually benefits Calvin Ridley. I know that there's the theory that because there's another alpha wide receiver on the team, that's somebody that the defense has to shadow. And now without him there, Calvin Ridley is the only main threat. Drafting Kyle Pitts kind of helps boost Calvin Ridley's value this year. And if we look at a, at some of the stats for Calvin Ridley, I know that air yards wise, he led the league in total air yards to over 2000 and his air yard share was almost league leading at 41% of the team's total air yards. That is a player who at the beginning of round two, if I'm taking my stud receiver, I am banking on Calvin Ridley getting a little bit luckier in the touchdown department. So I'm just going to crush the narrative for a second because the one thing I've heard pushback is, well, remember Juju Smith-Schuster and how he face-planted when Antonio Brown was gone? The difference is that we saw Ridley in almost half a season without Julio last year, and he crushed it. He was getting over 100 receiving yards a game. 
he was winning even when double teamed. And that was something that we hadn't seen with Juju, where with Juju, when he had his blow up 1400 yard season in his second season, Antonio Brown was getting double teamed the whole time. We didn't actually get to see Juju in a primary role in the offense. We've already seen that now. We got the, it's kind of perfect that we got the half sample of the year with Ridley because it was just enough for us to know he can handle himself when all the defensive attention's on him, but not quite enough that he had some 1,700 receiving yard season where people go, wow, we had 100 something yards a game. We have to take him in the first round. You can get a guy that's teed up for 100 receiving yards a game and eight catches every single game. You can get him in the second round now. And that's incredible. That's that's exactly the type of player that Calvin Ridley is. And if we look at the productivity section of his player profile page, we can see that not only, I already talked about how he had over 2,000 air yards, but in terms of completed air yards and unrealized air yards, he led the league in both of those categories with the fact that obviously he had the most completed air yards, but in terms of opportunity that he could have gained, the opportunity that he missed out was almost another 1,000 yards. That's that's. His, a player that in the second round, you can get somebody who still put up 1,300 yards last season, but could have had even half of the unrealized production, would have been 1,800 total yards. Smashed that draft button on Calvin Ridley. Before you keep going off him, I, th- I think I thought of a, a, good compar- or a good kind of comparison for Ridley. Calvin Ridley is basically Tyreek Hill with more target volume and a worse quarterback. Because people think about Tyreek Hill as he's always making his way down the field. He's getting those deep targets. That's what you're getting with Ridley, except you're getting more targets. It's just from Matt Ryan. So you're taking, you get the discount because it's not a generational quarterback in Mahomes and that it's Matt Ryan, who's kind of more of an average quarterback now. But I I wouldn't be surprised at all if Ridley led the NFL in targets and receiving yards this year. I think that's well within his range of outcomes. I completely agree. I was going to take... One running back, but I want to I wanna leave him to you to, to really bring home. The other guy that I really like in this second round, if I have an earlier pick, I'm probably going to be taking Antonio Gibson. Now, I know that Cody would probably say, why not take him in the first round? But <laughs> Antonio Gibson is a second round smash that I think that he is a player where when I'm in this second round, I'm drafting guys that I can see at having a clear path to the number one overall finish in their position. Is it likely? Not necessarily, but is it possible? Yes. I think that all the cards are falling in place for Antonio Gibson, a player who last season was already a top 10 running back in PPR leagues in terms of fantasy points per game. I think that JD McKissick's receiving role is going to slightly decrease. I think that having Ryan Fitzpatrick, Fitzmagic, Dolphins legend on the on the team is going to is going to benefit Antonio Gibson in terms of giving him more dump off receptions from Fitzmagic. And I think that his PPR work and his eventual goal line work will allow him to vault into that first round running back range going forward. And if you're looking at pick like 20, pick 18 even, and you see Antonio Gibson still on the board, what are you doing if you're not hitting that draft button? Antonio Gibson is the, is that, that guy. Antonio Gibson is that player that I think you have to grab at that position in the draft. And I know that I just talked about players having a path to that number one overall finish in their position and players that I don't like in the second round that I just don't see that path for are Nick Chubb and a player profiler love. I think that I personally am going to fade. Here's Joe Mixon. I, I think Joe Mixon is a great player and I, I, 
think that Joe Mixon is a good running back to have on your team, just not the type of running back with a path to being the RB1. I think that that Cincinnati offense is just too saturated. Talk about a saturated market. Sorry for using the word market, Matt, but let's talk about a saturated (laughs) offense in terms of Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. Joe Mixon is going to get work. Don't get me wrong. He's going to receive a lot of a lot of the fantasy points from that team. I just don't think that he has a path to scoring the types of points that those Alvin Kamara's, Austin Eckler's, Aaron Jones, that those RB ones in the first round are going to produce. So the other player that I'm not a fan of drafting in the second round is Nick Chubb. And that's because he suffers from having a former league winner, Kareem Hunt, also in that backfield. The issue that those two run into is that they both raise each other's respective floors, but they limit the ceiling that each has on a week-to-week basis. Unless one goes down with an injury, and I mean a long-term injury, there's no clear path to either one breaking into that top five even running back range. And with Kareem Hunt still in that backfield, I don't see how Nick Chubb is a viable fantasy option for you in the second round. Now, those are some of the players that I like and don't like. But Josh, in this second round, who's somebody that you absolutely have to leave the draft with? So, I mean, I, I've i never really been a huge tight end early kind of guy. Just going back, I've always felt like I have a, a decent enough ability to kind of find those later or mid-round guys that I think are going to pop. But I just can't get over Darren Waller. I don't I don't see what I'm missing with him. If, if he's available in the mid to late second round, just grab the guy that's going to be either number one or number two in the NFL in points per game at the tight end position. And he's going to have a lot of them. And you might say, oh, but he was a tight end. So if he finished number two in points per game behind Kelsey last year, well, Waller was a tight end. And to that, I say it is ludicrous that we have just decided that every single time, no matter what, we are going to take DK Metcalf ahead of Darren Waller because Darren Waller actually scored more fantasy points per game than DK Metcalf last year. And Waller plays tight end where there are so few tight ends that are even capable of getting you difference-making production. So that's my case for Darren Waller, the number one option on a team that's going to be passing a lot because they have a terrible defense. They play in a dome, which is good for passing. And the receiving core is, uh, there's there's no one really that's proven there aside from, I guess you could say John Brown is proven, but at this point, he's more of a role player. They don't actually have any stud receivers that we can just pencil in for a thousand yards right now. Draft Darren Waller. The other guy is uh, Najee Harris. If you want a round two running back, he's going to be inefficient most likely. It's not a good offensive line. The offense might not be great, but if you can grab Najee Harris in the late second round and just kind of bank on over 300 touches with a decent amount of them being receptions because Najee Harris has a very strong receiving profile. He's got Big Ben with his weak arm who... We already know likes to dump off and throw short. I mean, Deontay Johnson just racked up targets last year. Same with Juju. The two of them on their short routes were just eating target after target, game after game. And Najee Harris is going to take a lot of those. And then one more guy I'll add to the the kind of fade list, because I often see him going in the second round, is I don't quite see it with Clyde Edwards-Alaire. This was even before he had his ankle sprain. Now he has his ankle sprain. He just doesn't really project as the type of running back with his uh, he's barely over 200 pounds. He's on the slower end. He doesn't really project like this typical workhorse running back. Also, Patrick Mahomes is really good at football. And that kind of hurts 
the the Chiefs running backs that he's played with. Because if you're Patrick Mahomes with Kelsey and Hill, and you're really good at football, and you have a top five receiver and the best tight end in the NFL getting open at will, 10 to 15 yards down the field, why are you going to check down to your running back who's small and slow for a seven yard gain when you can just get the first down with Kelsey or Hill? So I know that there's been coach speak that Mahomes is going to target Edwards a Laramore, but for me to draft someone in the second round, I don't really want coach speak. I want to have seen it happen before or easily project it. And I just can't do that with Clyde Edwards a So I view him as more of a third round, early third round pick. Now, I think the third round, we can actually just breeze through this one. This one's pretty simple. So, uh, Michael, what should we do in the third round? It's quick and dirty. So, in the third round, this is honestly one of the easiest rounds, I think, when I'm drafting. Because I can either take DeAndre Swift in the third round and feel great about my team. Or I can take one of CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper, Terry McLaurin, Allen Robinson. There are so many elite potential wide receiver one talents available in this third round or DeAndre Swift at running back outside of those players. Anybody else just feels like a mistake to draft just because I'm missing out on value. Josh, what do you think about this third round? This is, this is a pretty easy round for me in terms of how I want to approach it. Yeah. You grab Swift or you grab a receiver. The, the one receiver I would caution you against is Mike Evans generally goes in the third round. And people think of Mike Evans as this target hog. They they hearken back to uh, five years ago, four years ago, when he'd have 180, 190 targets. Unfortunately, the targets have been harder to come by. And we're not even going to get into the too many mouths to feed kind of thing. This is just however many mouths were out there, he just wasn't eating because he's not getting open like he used to. His target share has declined. And we saw that last year. He was under a 20% target share. And that's really bad for the supposed number one receiver in an offense. I mean, TJ Hawkinson had a higher target share than Mike Evans last year. And now I need to check this. We're we're currently live doing this because is Josh's memory good enough for this for this show segment? This isn't going in the outtakes, by the way. This is real-time double checking. So Mike Evans. Mike Evans had an 18% target share, which was outside the top 50 in the NFL last year. Wow. Outside the top 50, Mike Evans, the name brand. And what do you know? TJ Hawkinson, same thing. 18% on the dot. So TJ Hawkinson and Mike Evans had the same target share. Unbelievable that you can get the tight end with the same target share profile several rounds later than the receiver. What are you doing with Mike Evans? We'll get to the Tampa Bay receiver to target later on, but Evans, I'm out on. I just don't see it with a guy that's going to be getting maybe only 100, 105, 110 targets this year. It's very worrisome when a receiver is no longer able to get open at will like they used to. And we don't even need to get into just how many other really good receivers are there who get open at a higher rate than Evans. I mean, Godwin, Antonio Brown, there's other receivers there that can win in all phases. The other guy, J.K. Dobbins at running back, this is not a running back you should take in the third round. J.K. Dobbins kind of looks like the the quote-unquote dead zone running back for one reason. It's that he has no receiving upside. He's going to get you one or two targets a game. Some games, he's not going to get any. It's really hard to get fantasy points when your running back is going to get you 10 to 15 carries a game and one target. It doesn't matter how efficient he is, the offense, yada, yada, yada. Unless J.K. Dobbins is somehow sneaking in 20 touchdowns in a timeshare with Gus Edwards, 
then there's just no way that Dobbins is paying off at his ADP. And you should just grab Swift. Swift's probably going to have a similar amount of carries with four or five times the amount of targets that Dobbins does. Let's go into round four now. Michael, who are you looking at in round four? Looking at round four, there's not a whole lot that excites me. I know that um, some receivers like Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, if they make it to the fourth round, that's great. But more often than not, they're being taken at the end of that third round turn. If they're available there, give me those Rams receivers every day of the week. If I don't get the receivers for the Rams, then I'm going to be taking their running back, Daryl Henderson, in the fourth round as somebody that I love currently at ADP. I think that he's a player where a lot of us, myself included, expected the Rams to sign some veteran free agent that would probably force Henderson into a timeshare and his fantasy value would be nuked. But it is currently August 22nd, and I have yet to see anybody get signed by the Rams that scares me from stealing time away from Daryl Henderson. In games where Daryl Henderson was, quote, the feature back for the Rams last season, he averaged over 10 fantasy points per game, which in the fourth round, that's a pretty good steal for somebody that I think this season with Matt Stafford in that offense on, again, one of those high-powered offenses. I think that the Rams have a top-five offense this season with all the weapons that they have, especially with Matt Stafford. I think that Henderson benefits from an elite passing game, and I think that in a featured role, he will be a smash in the fourth round at cost. Now, somebody who at cost that I don't like, I hate to, to just attack the Bucks receivers here because I think that Tom Brady's going to have a good year, but Chris Godwin just doesn't feel like the player that he was two years ago. Everybody still seems to be riding the high of 2019 Chris Godwin that they fail to realize, Josh, I'm actually going to let you take this, this Chris Godwin bit real quick because I know that you have a tweet about Godwin versus another potential Tampa Bay receiver and how their splits compare. If you, I don't know if your memory is, is going to serve you well. <laughs> it's quite simple. There were eight games when Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin, and Mike Evans played together last year, eight games in the regular season. And Antonio Brown actually had more targets than Mike Evans. And he had more targets than Chris Godwin. In the playoffs, things shifted a little bit. Who knows what was going on there? But at least in an eight-game regular season sample, it was not so obvious to me that Mike Evans was the alpha with Godwin as the clear-cut receiver two and Antonio Brown in a complementary role because Antonio Brown actually ended up with more targets. He was always open. Every advanced metric supported that he was always open. So yeah, you just these Bucks receivers, you should just wait and take Antonio Brown, who I, I really don't know who's going to... Do you know who's going to finish highest? I don't think any of us really know how to rank Evans, Godwin, and Antonio Brown. They could kind of finish in any order. So when one of the guys is going several rounds later, you just take Antonio Brown and say, you know what? I can't see the future. They all look very similar. I'm just going to grab the guy that goes several rounds later and doesn't have that opportunity cost. And then there's one receiver that I just absolutely love in the fourth round. It's Tyler Lockett. Tyler Lockett had over 100 catches last year. He had a huge target share, nearly 25%. He has an incredible quarterback in Russell Wilson. Minimal target competition. It's pretty much just Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. Lockett actually commanded more targets than Metcalf last year. So all this talk about how Metcalf is the clear round two pick and that Lockett's a round four pick because he's obviously second fiddle. 
we didn't actually see that last year. In fact, uh, we saw Lockett get a four-year extension this offseason. So I'm pretty sure the team likes him. Russell Wilson likes him. And you should be grabbing the incredibly athletic Russell Wilson potential wide receiver one when you can get him in the fourth round. He's coming off 100 catches and he's averaging about nine touchdowns a season the past three years because Russell Wilson's deep ball is just the best in the NFL. And you can't miss out on those big games from Lockett. Go for it, Michael. I, I can see you're chomping at the bit to yeah. <laughs> g- give me some more Lockett takes. Jump in on some more Lockett, Lockett discussion. Um, <laughs> with Tyler Lockett, I know that people were concerned about his spike weeks last year and how Tyler Lockett was seemingly inconsistent. But Josh, you helped me kind of turn the corner on Tyler Lockett and the fact that last season he was historically inconsistent in terms of when those points were scored. In redraft, you want to try and get players that you can comfortably put in your lineup without having to worry about those dud weeks. Now, those 53-point weeks from Tyler Lockett, like what he had in week seven, are great. Those are super fun to have, but it's kind of hard to justify drafting that player when it's both preceded and followed by 5.9 points, 8.4 points, 7.3 points. Those types of performances from Tyler Lockett last year were historically inconsistent. And I think that coming into this season with around four ADP after signing a four-year extension and a lack of David Moore, who may I say is a Sunday night football legend. <laughs> I think that Tyler Lockett is going to be that wide receiver in the round, in the fourth round that you can comfortably smash the draft button on that inconsistency will not remain that that is a guarantee. So I think a good parallel that can help people understand what uh, this quote-unquote inconsistent receiver can become the year after. Think about Will Fuller. Remember how we all, like, he was an enigma. You didn't, sometimes you put Will Fuller in your lineup and he got you zero points. And then you'd say, oh, I I can't play him. You take him out, you bench him, and then he got you 50 points. And you go, oh my God, he got me 50 points on the bench. What am I doing? And then something really funny happened. Will Fuller was in a new role without DeAndre Hopkins where we could project a really good target share for him. And last year, he was really consistent. And the crazy boom-bust Will Fuller faded. In almost every single game, he was getting you at least 10 fantasy points, frequently around 20 fantasy points. That's probably what's going to happen with Tyler Lockett, where he's still going to get you that elite wide receiver one type fantasy points per game. It's probably just going to be a little more consistent because we can project the target share. And I mean, do you really think that you're going to draft Tyler Lockett and he's going to get you two 200-yard games with duds everywhere else. That just doesn't really happen. Last year, that was a weird year. There's small sample sizes in fantasy football, and none of the research that we've done supports that this type of receiver is going to be anywhere near as inconsistent the year after, and that the real signal is that Tyler Lockett was getting a lot of targets. He was frequently open. He was getting his touchdowns because Russell Wilson is an incredible quarterback, and There's no signs that that's going to stop. So two really great options. Michael, uh, before we get out of the fourth round, though, you're going to have to you're going to have to let me down because this is one of my all time favorite players, not even just receivers, all time favorite players. And I can't draft him in the fourth round. It it pains me to say that you shouldn't be comfortable in the fourth round drafting DJ Moore. It pains me to say that. I think DJ Moore is such a talented football player and I, I wish he had better, but being in that Carolina offense with Sam Darnold under center, I'm not convinced that it was all on Adam Gase. 
that Sam Darnold's poor performance was entirely the fault of Adam Gase. And now that Adam Gase is gone, oh, Sam Darnold's gonna gonna shock the world. He's gonna be a quarterback one. I I don't see it. I don't think there's any real evidence that you can show me that proves that Sam Darnold is a competent fantasy quarterback that can help wide receivers produce. And DJ Moore just doesn't have a similar ceiling and those similar potential spikes that I think Tyler Lockett has, that I think other receivers in this round have. And if I'm not taking a receiver in this round, then what I think other running backs in this round have. DJ Moore is stuck on an offense that has a bad quarterback, slow pace of play. And with Christian McCaffrey back in the fold, I think his target share is going to drop. And if I'm going to talk about narrative, this goes against analytics, but if I'm going to talk about narrative, Sam Darnold, Robbie Anderson, he comfortable with that connection in the past. I've not convinced that DJ Moore is going to be an elite receiver. And because he's being drafted as if he's the clear cut number one option on this Carolina offense, I have to fade him. I'm sorry. It, it pains me to say it, but I can't, I just can't feel comfortable drafting DJ Moore. Yeah, a couple more hard facts about DJ Moore that made me shed a couple tears were uh, he actually had fewer targets last year than Robbie Anderson. So year one of Joe Brady's offense, uh, Robbie Anderson actually was was seeing more looks. Also, uh, this this incredible the the legendary uh, Joe Brady offense was very, as Michael mentioned, very slow pace of play and. Yes, Teddy Bridgewater was also a very slow pace of play quarterback historically. He's kind of a sloth. So then you say, oh, it's okay because it was it was Joe Brady's first year in the NFL. He's going to adjust. They're going to be so much faster this next year. Except that Sam Darnold, all three years, has been a well below average pace of play quarterback on the Jets. So if we take a slow pace of play coordinator and slow pace of play quarterback, I mean, you're kind of bending everything, all the data we've seen, you have to bend that to get them to be a faster-paced team. You also have to bend whether or not Darnold's good. He hasn't been good in the past. Then you have to say, well, also on top of all of that, I think DJ Moore is going to have more targets than Robbie Anderson, even though he didn't last year. And on top of all of that, you also have to say that, uh, what, do you think McCaffrey's going to get hurt again? I don't know. Are we really banking on injuries? There's just, do you really think Sam Darnold who basically has never supported anybody in fantasy other than situationally supporting Jamison Crowder, one guy. Are we really thinking Sam Darnold suddenly because Joe Brady is the the second coming of Jesus that he's going to support the 101 in Christian McCaffrey, followed also by a fourth round receiver and a fifth slash sixth round receiver in Robbie? I, I just, wow, you are really bending a lot of the numbers <laughs> in your favor. And I'm out of breath from this. And I'm not out of breath with Tyler Lockett. I just say, you know what? He had the targets. He had the touchdowns. Historically, he's had the targets. He's had the touchdowns. Same quarterback who's elite. Uh, not a lot of target competition. They don't have a Christian McCaffrey in the backfield stealing a ton of targets. I don't know. It's just, it seems like we're making fantasy football really hard by taking DJ Moore over a guy like a Tyler Lockett in the fourth round. Round five, who are you looking at? This is where, depending on the build that I have, I think you can't go wrong with any of the mobile quarterbacks. They all happen to go in the fifth round between Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson. Any of these guys are realistically available to you in this fifth round. And depending on your build, a guy like Josh Allen could be more beneficial to your team than Kyler Murray if you have Stefan Diggs versus DeAndre Hopkins. 
Lamar Jackson could be a nice option if you want to go Lamar this round and then come back after the turn with Mark Andrews. Get that top receiving option for Baltimore. Again, we're stack kings over here. So I'm going to make sure that I, I obviously plug the stacks, but those mobile quarterbacks, out of all of the ones available in this fifth round, I personally love Kyler Murray. I think that his he and Lamar Jackson are the only two quarterbacks in the league with a clear path to 1,000 rushing yards. I think he can honest and truly clear that hurdle in a 17-game regular season. And with new weapons like Rondale Moore and A.J. Green in the fold, and with another year in the NFL, I think that Kyler Murray could realistically leave this NFL season as the QB1 overall in scoring. I don't know if it's a hot take, so I didn't say it as a hot take for the end of the show, but I am going to draft Kyler Murray as the QB1. That's, that's somebody that I absolutely love across all all my drafts in in every league that I'm in. I think a fun narrative with Kyler is that, I mean, as many of us remember in college, he wasn't just good at football, he was good at baseball. He was actually a first-round pick in the Major League Baseball draft as well as in the NFL draft. And he'd always focused on two sports throughout his whole life. He switches to focus on one sport. He plays in the NFL as a rookie. Then he has year two, and he takes massive strides forward in pretty much every area of his game. I don't see why he can't take more steps forward. He doesn't look like a finished product. He actually wasn't even that good of a passer last year, but he was so much better than his rookie year. So there's just a huge uh, growth. There's room for growth with Kyler Murray. And that's what I really like about him as well, is that the, the historic tear that he was on last year before getting injured, we could see that again. We could even see better than that. We don't, we don't actually even know what Kyler Murray's fully capable of in a full healthy season as he's more acclimated in the NFL with major weapons upgrades. Josh, I know that you and I have a similar love hate list for this fifth round. You have a much longer love list than I do. I might dump off the round five loves to you since I, I frequently see these names popping up on your, on your Twitter. Who do I hate? hate, Michael? Who do I hate? Who do you hate? Just just rip the bandaid off. Who are these round five guys? You're not going to be drafting Josh Jacobs, man. Just, I know that there's, there are a couple of Twitter guys that I follow who y'all love Josh Jacobs. And that that's fair. I'm not asking you to stop doing that. If anything, keep doing that. So that way then his ADP stays high. So that way then my league mates keep drafting Josh Jacobs because Josh Jacobs is not somebody that I want on any of my fantasy teams. Oh, but Michael, he was a top five running back last year. That was last year. Cool. Josh Jacobs this year with Kenyon Drake in the backfield and on an, I dare say, awful Raiders offense, I don't see Josh Jacobs being a viable fantasy running back for your team. I don't think he's going to have a bell cow role. He's never been a top receiving back. And in PPR formats, fade me with that Josh Jacobs pick in the fifth round. The other running back that I don't like, post-age apex breakout running back, Mike Davis, for the Atlanta Falcons. I think that he might be a player where if you draft him in the fifth round and after like week four of the fantasy season, he's had some productive weeks. You can trade him for some nice value. Go ahead. do that. If that's your strategy, I don't blame you. That's, that's a great way to look at it. But if you're the type of player that thinks that Mike Davis will be a solid flex and or RB2 option, depending on your build throughout the entire fantasy season, I would strongly recommend taking this advice and not taking Mike Davis. The other player that we have is Robbie Anderson. Josh, I know you explained the whole Carolina offense, why we don't really think that Sam Darnold can support any of them. 
and help them become fantasy viable. But those three names are just three of the biggest culprits in this fifth round that I am not a fan of at all. And if you see them, even if you see them in the sixth round, take somebody else, (laughs) honest and truly. These are guys that I'm fading hard this fantasy football season. I'm off my soapbox. Josh, take it away with the loves. Well, let's bring, let's spread positivity. Let's, let's bring some loves here. Well, one more thing with Mike Davis. I actually, uh, I had a nice Twitter debate uh, a couple weeks ago about Mike Davis. And what I, what I said with Mike Davis is, can you, can you produce a list of players in their late twenties who were tossed around team to team, always a second or third string running back, never popped until their late twenties showed up on a team without a large contract in free agency. Mike Davis is not making 10 million a year like your your typical big free agent splash running back. Give me a list of players that for an entire season kept the starter's job and performed well. There, There's not really a list. There's literally like one, maybe. Justin Forsett, maybe, maybe. But even, even the following season, look at his next season. He did not have the starting role and he had less than 500 rushing yards. Yeah, Mike Davis looks like the type of player where the first couple games, he puts up some solid fantasy points. But he's just not that good at real football anymore. And the, the also just the Falcons rushing game has been so broken for so many years. They haven't really invested much into it. Clearly, I mean, Mike Davis is their starting running back. <laughs> we, we saw Gurley face plant by midseason last year. I just don't have a whole lot of faith in this Falcons offense this year. I really think Ridley and Pitts are going to have some pretty good years, and that's about it. It's just really difficult for me to get behind the late 20s, late bloomer running back, who for some reason, year after year after year, was just not good enough for the starter's role. And this is this is what a dead zone running back looks like. They look like Mike Davis. So... If you hear about all this dead zone research, this is the quintessential (laughs) dead zone running back where at first glance you go, wow, he's going to get 15 to 20 touches in week one. Yeah, he probably is. Week two, sure, probably. But by week six, do I think Mike Davis will be getting 15 to 20 touches? No, that's just not really how it's worked historically. And then if we look at the data, we don't see Mike Davis's succeeding. The other guy I love in the fifth round though is Travis Etienne. I mean, if you want... If you like pass catching running backs because running back targets are two and a half times more valuable than running back carries, like we know Travis Etienne is your guy. We have the shower narrative where he and Trevor Lawrence played three seasons in college together. They won a national title. It's a storybook transition from college to the NFL where the Jaguars had two first round picks and they took the college teammates in Clemson of Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne. So these teammates are now moving on to the NFL together. Do you really believe that Trevor Lawrence is going to be playing with an inferior talent like James Robinson that he's never played with before? And that when the game's on the line or when it's third down and the the big fantasy point touches are about to come in with those long down and distance targets, you really think he's going to motion to the sideline and say, wave off ETN and say, bring in the undrafted James Robinson who I've never played with before compared to his college teammate who's a first round pick. And let me tell you, first round picks the last 10 years at running back average 18 combined carries plus targets their rookie season per game. And that includes the massive busts that were Rashad Penny, David Wilson. So even with two huge busts, these running backs get fed. You don't draft a running back in the first round to exclusively play them on third down. For some reason, people have just assumed Urban Meyer's a donkey and he's horrible at this. I mean, I don't know. All the evidence in terms of actual on-field points to him being pretty good at coaching. 
I mean, there's a reason he was so prolific in college and now he's in the NFL. It's because he's a good coach. He wins games. His offenses move the ball. And you, you got to grab the, the pass-catching running back in ETN. There's also the Bengals receivers, Higgins and Chase. Great picks there. It's a wide-open offense where there's no tight end of consequence. And they're going to throw the ball a lot. There's Brandon Ayuk. There's TJ Hawkinson. This is just a great... Round five is great, honestly. Round five is so great. <laughs> just don't grab Jacobs, Robbie Anderson, or Mike Davis. Moving on to round six. Now, this is kind of shocking because what we're using for this ADP data, we just went to Fantasy Pros and we figured that your Joe Fantasy in your league, when they prep for their fantasy draft, is going to go off of Fantasy Pros. And we were actually shocked to see these two names in the sixth round. We couldn't believe it. These weren't even guys that we were necessarily stoked about because we just assumed that like underdog, they go in the fifth round. But no, no, no. In your redraft league, these are six round players. Which two receivers were we potentially fading on underdog in best ball, but suddenly redraft hits and they go in the sixth round and we love it. Odell Beckham Jr. and Chase Claypool. These two receivers are guys where on underdog fantasy, fifth round, I might advise going elsewhere. We just talked about how we love the fifth round. You can find amazing value in some of the other players there. But in the sixth round, to get Odell Beckham Jr. and Chase Claypool, whom I believe is going to end as the wide receiver one in Pittsburgh. I love Chase Claypool. I love his build. I love the production that he's had in college and last season as a rookie. And I think that that's only going to continue to improve as he goes forward. But Odell Beckham Jr. is a player at the other end of that narrative who people are starting to think, oh, Odell's getting old. He's coming off of an injury. But prior to that injury last season, OBJ averaged 14 and a half fantasy points per game and was a wide receiver two slash one option for your team, depending on the rest of your build. This is a player in the sixth round. You have that type of talent available. I'm sorry, Jarvis Landry is going to take away production. Austin Hooper is going to take away those points from Odell Beckham Jr. I think that OBJ is the type of player in the sixth round where if I had him in the fifth round, I could talk myself into drafting him. But the fact that he's available in the sixth round makes it a no question that he should be on my team if that's where I can get him at. And Chase Claypool, I know I talked briefly earlier about liking his build and liking the production that he had as a rookie last season. And I know that people are fading Big Ben, think that he's at the end of his career. He doesn't have much left in him. But give me the 6'4", 240-pound receiver that also runs a 4'4", That is Chase Claypool. I think that that player in and of itself, regardless of what offense he's on, is somebody who I won in the sixth round of every fantasy draft, let alone the fact that he was top three in deep targets last year and top 10 in targeted air yards last year. This is a player that in the sixth round, why aren't you drafting him? And then I'm going to talk quarterbacks for a second because one of my loves and my hates, it's at the quarterback position in the sixth round. There's a lot of decisions. I think Dak is a, is a fine pick, but the guy that I really am pounding the table for is Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is the only quarterback the last, uh, I think it's five seasons in a row now, that he's had the 30 touchdown passes. And you might say, oh, touchdowns are not that sticky. Well, you know what? They've been sticky for Russell Wilson. And it's because his deep ball is just the best in the game. And that there's just there's nothing like the Russell Wilson deep ball paired with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, two elite athletes that are able to get down the field. And that's really what you want, is you want a quarterback with strong receivers who also has rushing upside. 
believe it or not, uh, mid-30s Russell Wilson, I know he's getting old, supposedly. He had over 500 rushing yards last year. And that's going to blow some minds because you might think he's like a 300 rushing yards per season kind of guy now that he's 32. No, no, no. He was over 500 rushing yards last year. He is a Konami code quarterback with the best deep ball in the game. And you can get him in the sixth round with upgraded weaponry. They signed Gerald Everett in free agency. This is the kind of player that you want to target with the QB1 overall upside. And you can get him in the sixth round. Contrast that with apparently people think Aaron Rodgers is also a sixth round pick, even though he's he's not going to get you the, the rushing. And... He paid off in fantasy last year because he had over a 9% touchdown rate. It was basically one in ele- one out of every 11 Aaron Rodgers passes last year was a touchdown. That's insane. And it turns out that uh, that is that is not a sticky kind of number. That the the <laughs> 9% touchdown rate there there's no one there's nobody out there that has ever had two 9% touchdown rate seasons back to back like some people apparently think Aaron Rodgers is going to do. So. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't see it with Aaron Rodgers. He's not mobile, and it's not even like it's a high-volume pass attack. The The pace of play is not particularly fast in Green Bay. They don't even pass that much. So if you're going for a statue quarterback, you can wait rounds later and get just go just grab Tom Brady, who's also a statue, except the Bucks pass a lot more. They run more plays. So you're, you're <laughs> basically getting more touchdown passes with better receiving weapons with Tom Brady rounds later. On your on your note of the Packers not passing the ball that much, they were 25th in the league in terms of passing plays per game, which can I just point out for a statue quarterback who's it's not like he's getting those rushes that they're having. He's he's not going to have many of those 25, like rank 25th in the league. Oof, that's a quarterback that you won the sixth round, right? <laughs> and then before we get to the seventh round, Hit us with your your big fade at running back right now, where it's shaping up that this is just not a six-round running back that you have any interest in. Similar to Nick Chubb not being a round two running back, Kareem Hunt isn't a six-round running back. Again, I already mentioned most of the reasons before. Yes, they raise each other's floors, but they both severely limit each other's ceilings. And at this point for running back, I am a firm believer that when you approach your fantasy football draft, you are drafting players based on ceiling. It's very rare. And there are moments where it's okay to draft based on floor because you want to pick a safe player, but in the sixth round for my potential RB two, maybe even my backup running back flex position, I would much rather wait on running back, punt the sixth round running back into the seventh round and take a receiver here than go with the backup running back on a team where sure they run the ball a lot, but he will forever be stuck in a timeshare. Even with Nick Chubb being injured, it took actually it took Nick Chubb getting injured for Kareem Hunt to become fantasy viable. Without Nick Chubb's injury, Kareem Hunt is a backup running back. He does not have the ceiling to perform on a week-to-week basis, and I can't comfortably put him in my lineup. So Kareem Hunt, I'm sorry, but in the sixth round, you are just not ending up on any of my fantasy teams. Is there anybody else that you hate or no? Well, I was going to say with Kareem Hunt, the thing is that he had touchdowns. You might say like, oh, but look, even when he and Nick Chubb played together, he was scoring fantasy points. It's because of the touchdowns, and that's what we don't want to chase. We want to chase the usage, and Kareem Hunt's usage did not scream round six running back last year. Only the touchdowns did. He had five receiving touchdowns. That's a lot of receiving touchdowns. 
There's usually only one to two running backs a year who hit five receiving touchdowns. They're fluky. It's probably not going to happen again for him. Even including the games where Nick Chubb was was injured, Kareem Hunt averaged only a 50% snap share last season. That is not good at all. So now we go to round seven. This is really the Antonio Brown, uh, Tyler Boyd round for me. Those are, I think those are just great receivers where they're probably going to get 115 to 125 targets. And you you just want to buy that kind of volume. And those are also kind of like the, you're starting to get to some of the last types of receivers that you can comfortably start week one without any concerns. So those are the two guys I like. And then my big fade in round seven is Noah Fant. I cannot believe he's going round seven. That's insane. Seventh round, Noah Fant. He's the third receiving option in Denver. They have Cortland Sutton. They have Jerry Judy. It's a run first offense. You might say, well, how do you know it's a run first offense? If a team passes on an incredibly talented quarterback like Justin Fields in the first round and takes a a defensive player, and then they fire back by trading up in round two to get a running back. So you avoided the incredible talent of Justin Fields at quarterback, but then also traded up in round two to get Javante Williams at running back. All the signs point to, we want to run the ball. And it's because we have Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater under center. So you're going to have a below average quarterback on a run first offense. Noah Fant does not have a path to an elite tight end finish. And that's what you want. If you're grabbing a tight end in this range, you have to be able to imagine them being top three. And there's guys that go later who have more upside because they're just higher on the pecking order on their team's offense. So do not draft Noah Fant. Give us a a couple names that you're looking at in the seventh round. So I know that we both agree on Antonio Brown and you just touched up on, on some quarterbacks in the sixth round. Somebody that I like in the seventh round is Justin Herbert. I mean, I say this as a Dolphins fan who has to deal with Justin Herbert potentially having a better career than Tua, but Justin Herbert is, you're welcome, Mr. Chargers fan, Josh, but Justin Herbert is a player in this seventh round that honest and truly, the fact that he isn't going in the same range as Dak and Russ in some of these home redraft leagues is kind of shocking to me. Justin Herbert set records last year as a rookie, and I think will only continue to improve as he makes the year one to year two jump in the NFL. And with that extra game playing this season, I think that Justin Herbert has a path to, I dare say, potentially a 5,000-yard season with the cannon that he has of an arm. I, I think Justin Herbert has so much upside this year and is one of the quarterbacks that I'm targeting in that seventh round. Somebody else outside of Antonio Brown is Damian Harris. And I'm avoiding the New England running back narrative. I I know that people are worried about New England running backs not having a great season. And yes, Ramondre Stevenson has been killing in the preseason so far, but Damian Harris is a player who was fifth in the league in true yards per carry. He is somebody who suffered, I think, because Cam Newton just was not a competent passer in the NFL last season, that def- that defenses just stacked the box. And that shows in the fact that he faced the highest average number of defenders in the box last season. Once, once Mac Jones takes over the starting quarterback role, I think that that opens up the field for Damian Harris to potentially have a bell cow role. He's somebody in the seventh round that I think could have upside at potentially being a solid RB2 for your team. And guys in this round that I kind of hate, if I'm looking at the fantasy pros, like rankings, they have 80, 81 and 82 go. Are you ready for this, Josh? They go James Robinson, Michael Carter and Raheem Mostert. 
Tell me that you want those running backs on your team in the seventh round. Convince me that in the seventh round, I should spend my pick on an undrafted free agent running back who is playing behind a first round running back with rapport with his quarterback, a running back who is likely on a committee on a subpar offense, or a running back who is older and likely on a committee in a subpar offense. <laughs> which which of those should I take, Josh? Or any of them? Any of them? Because for me, I'm taking none of James Robinson, Michael Carter, or Raheem Mostert at their current ADPs. Yeah, I'm gonna pass on those guys. All right, round eight. There, there's a lot of there's a lot of tantalizing options in the eighth round. Uh, the the one guy that I just think you should avoid is Jarvis Landry. I don't quite see any kind of difference making upside with him. And I mean, I I would just rather grab Odell two rounds earlier, who looks like he has more of those spike that more of that spike week potential week to week. And yeah, I just don't like paying for a complimentary receiving option on a run first team that's low pass volume in Jarvis Landry. Most of his historical production has been through volume rather than actually putting up crazy stats per reception or per target. He's gotten there when he gets 95 catches. I don't see a world this year where Jarvis Landry is sniffing that. So he's someone that I'm just passing on. Who are a few guys that you're looking at in the eighth round? Some of the guys that I'm looking at here, we've already talked about in Will Fuller and... I know Tom Brady was someone that you had mentioned earlier. These are players that we've talked about loving them in these seasons. I personally think that Will Fuller is going to have a great year. I know that the suspension is going to hurt him. And the fact that he is just constantly injured is not helpful for his case. But you explained it perfectly how his inconsistency sort of leveled out once he was given that role as the lead receiver on his team. And I think that Miami has enough weapons to not only allow Tua to spread the wealth, but Will Fuller still, in my opinion, emerges as that top option on that offense. And I think that he is going to be a smash at value. I could talk all day about Jalen Hurts. I I honestly could talk another hour and a half about Jalen Hurts and why I love him in any fantasy league. But Jalen Hurts is a quarterback with, give me the potential upside of rushing and give me him as a more polished passer with Quez, Watkins as the wide receiver one on that team. <laughs> no, I'm 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 only joking. I'll restart this. Um, that was a week. You can do better. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. I I could I could sell. I could tell. <laughs> I could talk for about an hour or so about Jalen Hurts. I could go on and on about how much I love his rushing upside, about how much I love him being an improved passer in year two. And I know that there are concerns about him being on a weak offense, but. I still saw Deshaun Watson last season put up a quarterback four season, a top five quarterback season. I think Jalen Hurts has a similar path without many receiving weapons. Devontae Smith is going to be a competent wide receiver in the NFL that should allow him to be a productive passer. And I think that at least for the time being, Jalen Hurts is going to be a player who his rushing upside allows you to get a potential Konami code quarterback in the eighth round of your fantasy football drafts. Josh, how about you? What do you think about, I know you and I agree on Jalen Hurts and almost every player in this eighth round, but what are some, what are some of your thoughts on Hurts and other players in this round? You you just have to draft Hurts. I mean, if a guy's going to get you 10 rushing attempts per game, they can be a pretty bad passer and still put up a ton of fantasy points. And that's what you have to remember is that we're playing fantasy football. We're not playing real football. And I mean, if, if Jalen Hurts is getting you, 50 rushing yards a game that's 100 and 
25 passing yards worth of fantasy points just on the ground through yardage. If he gets a rushing touchdown, that's six fantasy points. A passing touchdown is only four. So Jalen Hurts running is just so much more valuable. We talked about the running back target, running back carry, where two and a half times more valuable. Think about how fantasy scoring works at the quarterback position. 25 passing yards is one fantasy point. 10 rushing yards, one fantasy point. Two and a half times more valuable on the ground per yard than through the air. That's why you're drafting Jalen Hurts. The other guy that I really like there, LaVisca Chenault, he's really looking like he's going to emerge as the wide receiver one in Jacksonville. He's ridiculous after the catch, probably the best wide receiver after the catch in the NFL right now. And he had a really good rookie season. I don't think people quite realize that he was averaging a similar amount of total yards per game last year to DJ Chark, except that DJ Chark was in his third season and Chenault was a rookie. This is a guy that made the transition from college to the NFL pretty much as seamlessly as possible for someone that some had labeled as a gadget receiver. Now that we know LaVisca Chenault's for real, he's going in the eighth round. That's a great pick where he has ridiculous upside if he ends up truly being the wide receiver one in that offense and gets you 80 catches with incredible yards after the catch ability. So grab that guy. I also like Trey Sermon in this round. Now we're going to move on to some late round targets and we're going to do this rapid fire. So what what are we looking for in a late round target? Realistically, these are the players where you feel comfortable grabbing them maybe a half to, I dare say, a full round above ADP. And these are guys that you can envision starting week to week if there is an injury or if there is, there's a clear path to them seeing these weekly startable points. Realistically, these are players that I see as rookies or potential backup handcuffs that could have those bankable weeks for you. And the guys that I really like at this range, I'll provide their ranking along with the name, is Zach Moss, who is currently ranked 108, Michael Pittman at 119, Jalen Waddell, 128, Blake Jarwin, 152, Rondale Moore, 179. <laughs> wow. Amon Ross St. Brown, 201. Malcolm Brown at 202. Damian Williams at 204. Those early 200s are really nice to me. I really like those players. And Devontae Booker as a final round running back. Those are some players that I think if there is an injury, they have a clear path to those starting roles. And those rookies who we don't know what their NFL production is, I might as well bank on them having successful starts to their careers. Josh, how about you? Who are some late targets that you have? Uh, Gus Edwards goes around 126, according to Fantasy Pros. Got to grab some Gus Edwards. He's probably going to get a similar amount of touches to Dobbins. You can just get him so many rounds later. Cole Beasley, 137. Emmanuel Sanders, 170. Just grab both. Who even knows who the the wide receiver two in Buffalo is? Gronk goes at 143. You already mentioned him. Great late round tight end. Everett, especially if you have Russ, pick 150. We've got the rookie QBs with Fields at 151 and Trey Lance at 176. And if your quarterback is worse than Russell Wilson... Grab a second quarterback, grab Fields or Lance at the very end of your draft, and just stash them the first couple of weeks and see what happens. Tevin Coleman, 165. Jacoby Myers, 169. Paris Campbell at 183. Terrace Marshall at 198. And then in the final round, some running backs to look at are Samaj P. Ryan, Ty Johnson, Jarek McKinnon, and Anthony McFarland. These are all players that you should have on your radar and cycle through in your final round. And then there's one more guy where I think we would both agree that he has the most egregious ADP just in fantasy football right now. It's Brian Edwards, who goes at 197 
and is looking more and more by the day like he's going to be the wide receiver one in Vegas, going at 197 with an elite prospect profile. What are people doing? You need heavy Brian Edwards exposure. And then one other thing is we mentioned a lot of receivers, but in general, most of your bench, we'd recommend running back and tight end because that's frequently where the the week one guy will pop. Or if there's some random injury at running back next, you know, your backup running back is just incredibly fantasy relevant. And then at tight end, like we don't really know how many routes these tight ends are going to run. And if you, if you hit on the tight end, that's like a, a Logan Thomas last year where he runs 30 routes week one and is clearly a focal point of the offense. Smash. You now have a clear cut tight end one type that you got at the very end of your draft. So load up on running back and tight end and then grab one or two bench receivers. And we laid out a ton of players for you. Are there any of the players that you mentioned that you want to elaborate on a little more? Who, who gets you the most fired up? It seems like it's Rondale Moore, just based on your, your tone. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, Rondale Moore, I think, has a path to being the wide receiver, too, in that Arizona offense. I, I'm not worried about Christian Kirk. I wasn't worried about Christian Kirk last year. I'm not worried about Christian Kirk this year. I think that Rondale Moore, his role in Arizona leads me to seeing him as being somebody where I can comfortably flex him on a bye week for one of my other receivers and hope that I get a breakout hundred plus yard touchdown scoring game where he gets one of those long plays that just goes for a ton of fantasy points. I think that he's one of the very few players in this draft, at least at that range where you can realistically talk yourself into, yeah, I can get a nice flex play out of him. If one of my receivers is on a buy Rondo Moore gets me pretty fired up. I think that he's going to be the second best receiving option on one of the most high powered offenses in the league. And again, I, I, I feel bad giving so many Dolphins takes, but Jalen Waddell is like for the same reason as Rondale Moore. I, I, I see him. I, the unfortunate thing is he's 50 picks ahead of Rondale Moore, which that cost might be, it's more expensive relatively, but it's still cheaper than where I'd originally have Jalen Waddell. Again, fantasy pros has him at 128th. I see him as being a top 105, top 100 pick given his fantasy production. And I know that the preseason hasn't been looking super promising, but Jalen Waddell, Rondell Moore, rookie receivers, great for your bench. Those are guys that I'm targeting. Now there's a few fades. So these are kind of guys where you shouldn't really grab them unless they're falling multiple rounds in your draft. And even still, maybe you should just still pass. There's just, we don't quite see the upside with these guys. So I'll just rifle off my picks. Devin Singletary going at 117. That's a lot to pay for a small, slow running back when I think Zach Moss is better than him everywhere. J.D. McKissick goes 130. That's just a tough price when we know Gibson's going to only get more involved in year two. Philip Lindsay is going at pick 131, according to the Fantasy Pros consensus rankings. 131. Philip Lindsay, we're not even convinced he's actually the starter yet. There's just some coach speak that he might be. Even if he is, he's not a pass catcher. You're getting empty between the 20s touches because he's not a goal line back either. He's under 200 pounds. Between the 20s touches on the worst offense in the NFL at running back? No, thank you. Baker Mayfield goes 133. Are you kidding me? A low volume pass attack, non-mobile quarterback who's not even elite per pass? No, you don't need Baker Mayfield on your team. Cole Komet goes at 144. Uh, Last I checked, Jimmy Graham is still on that roster and had eight touchdowns last year. And he's probably going to have a decent amount of touchdowns this year too because Jimmy Graham is one of the best tight ends in the NFL in the red zone. He's a physical specimen. He wins at the catch point like few have 
in history. And he's not going anywhere. He's still on that team. Cole Komet's a good blocker. I'm not convinced Cole Komet's going to get those red zone looks, which you need for tight end. And then Rashad Penny at 166. Really? Rashad Penny at 166? Oh, I just... I mean, if that's the price that you want to pay because he was drafted in the first round 10 knee surgeries ago, go ahead. But I will uh, I will not be taking the, the running back who has never actually done anything in the NFL at pick 166. I will take my shots elsewhere. Who are, who are you just absolutely fading based on the these fantasy pros ADPs that we, or consensus rankings that we've pulled up? Irv Smith at 115, when I can get Blake Jarwin at 152, Gronk at 143, Gerald Everett 115, multiple rounds later. Why am I taking Irv Smith after last year when everybody was saying, Oh, Irv Smith smash. You got to take him this season. He's going to, he's going to crush it. Yeah, sure. Kyle Rudolph's gone now. I, I don't see Irv Smith being a a fantasy viable tight end for you. He still has to deal with Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, Dalvin cook. He's at best the fourth option on that team that I just don't get excited about at all. Irv Smith fade hard Marquise Brown. I, I, in the same way that I could talk an hour about Jalen Hurts, I could talk an hour about why I do not like Marquise Brown. Last year, he had the 12th highest target share in the league and the 15th highest target rate, and he finished outside of the top 36 wide receivers. The opportunity for him was clearly there, and yet he still didn't even produce a wide receiver three-worthy season. Just fade him even harder than 125. 125. Five is still pretty late according to fantasy pros. I am still way behind that. I do not like Marquise Brown in any format whatsoever. A player that I really like, but at cost is bad for me is James White. 132 currently at, in terms of the rankings that fantasy pros put out. I think James White is going to have a good year. I, I really like him on underdog because he goes in like the 170s, but at the 130s, I don't see an option I don't see him in the same way that we fade J.D. McKissick. For the same reason that we fade J.D. McKissick, James White is just not an option for me at 132. And the last player, again, quarterback, past his age apex. Just I don't think he has anything left in that arm after that surgery two seasons ago is Big Ben. I, I understand that Claypool, Deontay, Juju are all ranked super high, and Najee's going to have a, a breakout season. Oh, if that's the case, then how could you fade Big Ben? Because... I don't think that Juju's going to have a good year. And I don't think that Deontay is going to perform at his current ADP. And I only really support Chase Claypool. So I think it's reasonable to suspect that he can support one wide receiver, but all three of them, I I just do not see it at all for Big Ben. I think he's done. I mean, a nice dichotomy is Big Ben goes 140, is the 145 on these fantasy pros rankings. But then Lance is 176, Justin Fields 151. <laughs> Why would you grab it? Especially, I mean, it's one quarterback. Do you really think Big Ben has any shot this year at being a difference-making quarterback? I don't really see it. There's an influx of mobile quarterbacks into the league, and Big Ben's being pushed out. Avoid him. Kickers. We have, so these next about 45 minutes, we'll be diving into kickers because we know this is the focal point of your draft. I'm just kidding. We each have one kicker that we like, I think Greg Zerline is a nice target where he's generally not the the first or second kicker off the board. And he plays on a really explosive offense. And we know that he has a strong leg. It's why they call him Greg the leg. So Greg Zerline's a nice target where we actually saw him put up difference-making fantasy points per game a few years ago with the Rams. We we know that he has it in him and he's on a good offense. Give, give us one kicker that isn't going to be taken first or second overall that people can realistically get and enjoy. Record holder, juiced up Matt Prater 
on the Arizona Cardinals. I think that he is going to be somebody where you don't have to worry about the Justin Tuckers and Young Way Coos that go early on in your home drafts. You can wait until taking the kicker 10, 12, 13 even, and Matt Prater on an Arizona offense. Give me Matt Prater all day. All right, defense. We've pinpointed a few defenses that aren't going to go super early in your draft where they have really favorable schedules out of the gate because ultimately we don't we have no idea what's going to happen with defense. No one really knows. You can look at the stats and look at ADPs historically. They don't really line up with how fantasy defenses finish. It's just it's there's too many variables to predict with defense for anyone to actually get it right year after year. Here's some with soft schedules where you can start them the first few weeks Sort of figure out from there which defenses are good. Try and stream if you want, or you can pick up a defense that you think is uh, this year's 40, like the the 49ers were a couple years ago or the Patriots a couple years ago. But you don't have perfect information before the game start. So here's, here's two teams that I like with pretty easy schedules the first three weeks. Carolina Panthers. Their defense wasn't even that bad for fantasy points last year, and their schedule out of the gate is Jets, Saints, Texans. There's no strong offense there. Why not just take a chance on the Panthers? No one in your league is grabbing them. That's a nice soft schedule where there could be a pick six, some fumbles, some sacks. The other one is the Denver Broncos. They're going to go a little bit earlier than the Panthers, but still not too early. And the Broncos' first three games are the New York Giants with Daniel Jones, who is the most fumble-prone quarterback in the NFL. So get Daniel Jones, Jacksonville, where we think it's going to be a fine offense, but I don't think anyone thinks it's going to be a world-beater also a rookie quarterback so we don't really know maybe early season growing pains and then they get another rookie quarterback in the Jets so Denver with Giants Jags Jets another good schedule and then here's kind of a if you want a a defense that you could potentially start for the first half of the season here's the Green Bay Packers first seven games Saints Lions 49ers Steelers Bengals Bears Washington The 49ers, they might be scary. That's kind of the only team in the first few weeks that I'm sort of scared of, maybe. And then Washington, where, I mean, Fitzmagic has, uh, he's great for fantasy, but he frequently is also great for the fantasy defense because of his interceptions. So you could realistically start Green Bay those first seven weeks and maybe only eat one hard matchup week three with the Niners. So the Packers are an interesting one. Give, Give us three defenses that, you think people can target in their drafts where they're not paying too premium of a price necessarily. As a Dolphins fan, I hate to lead off with two uh, AFC East teams here, but I'm going to go with the New England Patriots first. I think that out the gate, they have a pretty easy schedule with the fact that they start with the Dolphins where, don't get me wrong, I hope that the Miami Dolphins win that game. However, it is no secret that the Dolphins and the Patriots tend to have fairly low scoring games whenever they run into each other. I don't think that Tua is going to shine right out the gate. I think that it's still going to take a week or two. And without Will Fuller, worth noting because of that suspension, they're not going to be at 100%. So I think that you can feel comfortable with that week one Dolphins matchup because it is then followed by the Jets and the Saints. Again, those are two teams that we just don't see being that threatening, at least early on in the season. Another team where their defense, I know, just took a pretty significant hit, might actually benefit you in terms of being able to take them as the last pick in your draft is the New York Jets. I think that their schedule, starting with Carolina, then New England and Denver, those are three teams that I just, I'm not scared of any of them. And I think out the gate, you can comfortably have a streamable defense in the New York Jets to start your, to start your season. 
before pivoting to defense by stream. The last defense that I think it might be too expensive just because people have always been drafting them super high these past couple of years when Robert Sala was there is the San Francisco 49ers. And that's because right out the gate, they go Detroit and Philly back-to-back games. I think that if you're looking for a super quick, I'll have them early and then I'll just cut them later. The Niners are a good option, especially with Bosa back, hopefully. But I don't think that they're necessarily going to be a team that you can afford if their draft position holds like I anticipated. Let's get into some stacks to target. People love the stacks. I'm going to hit the the audience with a few stacks that I really like. And general stacking is okay too. We're not saying these are the only stacks you're allowed to have, but we're each going to give our three three of our favorite teams to stack. And we'll let you know which round to take each player. And just a super quick rundown on why you should stack. If if you want the, the big rundown, listen to my Codebreaker podcast from about a month and a half ago where I hit on all the benefits of stacking, the theory, the math, you name it, I hit on it. It's called The Art of Stacking. So listen to The Art of Stacking podcast. It's really good for super deep dive into stacking to convince even the most staunchly opposed why you should be doing it. The Cliff Notes version for stacking, you don't need to get as many things correct. That's the biggest thing is if you look at players that exceed their ADP, you can frequently just look at several players from one team and they'll all exceed their ADP. Think about last year with the Buffalo Bills. Josh Allen, Stephon Dix, Cole Beasley, all exceeded ADP. Think about the the Seahawks. Remember when Metcalf and Lockett went fifth round last year? Russ, Metcalf, Lockett, they all exceeded ADP. I know that Seattle fizzled a little at the end, but still, if you just look fantasy points per game, these guys all exceeded. That's what you get with stacking is rather than needing to hit on so many specific players, you're basically, rather than saying, I like this receiver and that receiver and that quarterback, you just say, I like this offense. And it's much easier to get an offense correct and then profit when everyone in that offense does well than to pick and choose random nitpicked players. With that being said, if you have kind of a later draft slot, kind of the the back end of the first round, you can grab Lockett early in the fourth round and then Russell Wilson early in the sixth round. And that is just a killer stack, the Seattle stack. If you have sort of a middle draft slot, middle of the second round, you can grab DeAndre Hopkins. And then middle of the fifth round, Kyler Murray. That's another great stack, the the Hopkins-Murray. And then any draft slot, this one's great. It doesn't matter what slot you have. You're probably going to be able to get Antonio Brown in the seventh round, Tom Brady in the eighth or ninth round, and then Gronk at the final, one of your final rounds, round 12, 13. You can get him super late. And then you get all the benefits of this high volume Tampa Bay offense without having to pay the third and fourth round price for Evans and Godwin, where you can get Antonio Brown and Gronk and still get a huge chunk of that offense with Brady without paying any type of exorbitant cost. Michael, give us three more stacks that you like. So I know that you hit on some of the later draft slots. I'm going to go more early in the draft and look at the Dallas Cowboys, an offense that I absolutely love this season, where you can get CeeDee Lamb or Amari Cooper in that third round and come back in the sixth with Dak Prescott. I know that there are concerns with injuries for that team, but we saw it early on last year. I bought into it heavily last year where Dallas would just thrive on offense. I think that there's no reason why they can't do it again to start this season. Another early draft slot stack target for you to look at would be Keenan Allen at that round two, maybe early round three turn, and then hitting Justin Herbert at the round six and seven turn. 
We already talked about why we love this LA Chargers team and why I think that Justin Herbert is going to have such a good season. But at that early draft position, you can realistically have Christian McCaffrey, Keenan Allen, and another top wide receiver and come back later on in the sixth or seventh round and grab your quarterback and Justin Herbert. That is a dream team, if I do say so myself. If you're looking more towards the middle of the draft, though, the other LA, the other LA team would be the Rams, where you can get Bobby Trees, Robert Woods, or Cooper Cup in the third round and come back later on in the ninth round, where you get to wait a bit on your quarterback, still find some value elsewhere, and take Stafford. Stat Patford. I mean, Matt Stafford. Sorry. <laughs> Those are great stacks. Now, some of the questions that I get a ton on Twitter are all these keeper questions. I am bombarded with keeper questions. I know that that's a really popular league format is keeper leagues. Give us a, a few quick hitters for keeper leagues where if someone's new to a keeper league or they've been in a keeper league and they just they haven't felt like they're really contending year after year, hit us with a few cold hard facts that you've used to do well in keeper leagues. So the way that I like to treat my keeper teams is that if I'm contending, I essentially treat it like a normal redraft team. And what I mean by that is that if I have a stash player, like an AJ Dillon in the 16th round, I have him in two leagues. I'm selling him now because he's at his highest possible known value at this point, where I know that I can get maybe an eighth round pick because somebody really likes his value in the 16th round. I can get a decent draft slot for AJ Dillon's value. That Any stash player that you have, sell them now because their value is likely going to be higher now than their eventual production in the season, especially if you're a contender. But the golden rule in keeper leagues that I try to follow, and I will lay this out hopefully in a way that makes sense, is that I like to ask myself, is player X's value above the best player available between them and player Y's keeper position greater than player Y's value above the best available player after their keeper position. Now that's a mouthful. I, you might be able to pause, rewind, play that over a couple of times, but a, an example of that would be, let's say I'm in a draft and I can either keep Antonio Gibson in the ninth round or CD Lamb in the 10th round. And I have to choose between one or the other. The way that I go about that process is saying, okay, does Antonio Gibson give me more valuable? Does Antonio Gibson give me more value in the ninth round over the best player between him and CD in the 10th? Or does CD Lamb in the 10th round give me more value over the best remaining player in the draft? That's how I like to approach my keeper players. And I think if you want to pause, rewind, take that in again, the more I hear it and the more I talk to myself about it, the more it makes sense to me. So hopefully that helps you in terms of your keeper league advice. That's essentially the, the golden rule that I frequently give out whenever people come and ask me about keeper leagues. Basically, does player X provide you more value than player Y, depending on who is available after them at their respective keeper positions? That's how I like to look at my keeper team. Let's now turn to auction leagues. Michael, hit us with uh, a little bit of auction league strategy because it's kind of an emerging format. I know it's not quite as popular as just the, the basic redraft, but it's one of those things where when people enter an auction league for the first time, they're often insecure. They don't know what to do. Let's make that easier for them because as we as we both know, auction leagues are a lot of fun, especially when you are confident in your process and know what you're doing. And it's actually a great way to get a bigger edge than a snake draft. And that the typical snake draft, it's a lot harder to build a super team than it is in an auction league. So 
Give us a, a few auction principles that are really important. I want to start off with auction drafts allow good drafters to be good because you are in control of the decisions that you make. In an auction draft, you decide if you want to draft a player by spending money on them. That's how it works. And the way that I like to approach that is by putting my flex guys first. That is a great way to sort of test the market. And if the market is overpaying on players that I would normally slot into my flex position, that honestly benefits me because then that forces more teams to spend their money and their salary on players that I otherwise don't really need in my starting lineup. So putting my flex guys in when I go to nominate first is my go-to strategy for auction. I feel like it throws people off. It's a great way of testing the market and it's perfect for both one QB and super flex drafts. Another really good tip for people when they're getting into auction leagues is whatever your auction values are, we have them on the player profiler, world famous draft kit. You can find that on the site is we have auction values for each player for one QB, super flex, PPR, half PPR standard. Try and stay within a few dollars, maybe three, four dollars of whatever auction values you choose to use, especially early, because you might think, oh, wow, it's, it's only, it's only three dollars. Look, I got. I got Dalvin Cook. Look at that. Or it's only a few dollars. Look, I'm getting Calvin Ridley now. And you think of these studs and you're like, oh, I'll just pay a few more dollars, a few more dollars. And I think what auction drafters, newer auction drafters struggle with is that those decisions don't hurt you in the moment. It's great. You got a superstar fantasy asset, but where that suddenly hurts you is in the later rounds when suddenly you look at the board and you have $20 remaining and someone next to you has $30 and you think, wow. They are just pricing me out. I have no chance at getting my guys the rest of the draft. And it's because you spent $2 extra here, $4 extra there, $7 extra there. And next thing you know, you're out of cash. And that's really where it's going to hit you. And I think that's what's so difficult is that you just think, oh, it's only a few dollars. And you look at your $200 auction budget and you're like, oh, I could, what's $50 versus $54? It's really, you should think about, all right, when I have $25 towards the end of my auction, What's that going to be like having 25 compared to 35 compared to 15? And that's a huge difference. So that's why you really don't want to be overpaying early, even if it might feel like you just have this endless budget, is that it comes back to haunt you when it, you, you want to round out your roster and suddenly there are some good values that show up and you've already priced yourself out of every single one of those players. I think another good piece of advice for newer auction draft players is especially in Superflex, do not nominate quarterbacks early. You really want to make sure that you let other teams pay a decent portion of their salary on those position players. I recently was in an auction draft where I went by my advice. I only put up my flex players. I put up a kicker and a defense early because it was a, it was a league that had those players on the roster. And I waited and I eventually finished the draft with Patrick Mahomes, Kyler Murray, and Tom Brady in a super flex league all on my roster where passing touchdowns are worth six points. So it's super flex and honestly a quarterback premium where I have Patrick Mahomes, Kyler Murray, and Tom Brady because I waited to nominate those quarterbacks. If you're in super flex and you are nominating a quarterback early, you're essentially allowing more players at the table. Whereas if you wait, People have already spent most of their money. Now you really only have one or two guys that you kind of have to worry about instead of having to worry about the entire league sniping you on a quarterback and removing the value that you could have gotten if you had just waited to put them up. Another super flex 
suggestion that I have is I'm not a fan of the studs and duds strategy. I know Josh, you'll, you'll explain a bit more of why it can work, but in Superflex, your studs will have dud weeks that that's just a given. And if you pay up for those stud position players who drop in some zeros here and there and have those duds already on your roster that will just inherently have zeros, then your quarterbacks aren't going to save you from that. And in Superflex, with more roster spots, with more starters, that means that those zeros are going to have a greater effect on your lineup overall than they would in leagues that have less roster spots. So in Superflex, Stutz and Duds just isn't my type of strategy. But Josh, I know that you kind of like it in one quarterback leagues, right? Yeah, if you're playing in a one, if you're playing in like a Yahoo type league where it's one quarterback, super by the book, there's only one flex spot and there's just so few starting roster spots, sure, you can go studs and duds because if you get four studs, that's a much larger percentage of your roster that has elite players. But once you get into super flex where suddenly there's another quarterback spot that opens and you get a deeper and deeper starting roster, that's when you really want a slightly more balanced approach. And then another one is in terms of uh, strategy in the auction draft is in those later rounds, you should focus only on the drafters with more money than you. And nominate players you know they're going to spend money on. And I'll, gi- I'll give you a, a, a real example of what that would look like. Let's say that there's one person in the draft room with more money than you. And you see that they have Dak Prescott. And CeeDee Lamb hasn't been nominated. CeeDee Lamb is the perfect player to nominate because they're probably going to want to stack CeeDee Lamb and Dak Prescott. And to you, CeeDee Lamb is just, he's a receiver. He's, he's good. To them, not only is Lamb a good receiver, but... The correlation with Lamb and Prescott is going to make them that player extra tantalizing to that owner. They're more likely to pay up. They pay up. They win CD Lamb. Now you have more money than them. So that's what you should always be doing, even just throughout the draft, but especially in those later rounds, once you start to figure out who really is trying to save their money, target them. Nominate players specifically that you know they're going to want to bid on. And unless they have some supersized willpower, they will be paying a premium for. And that's how you can get back into your auction league if you spent too much money early is by knocking out those big names with all the money at the end. And while saving money can work and having more money than your opponents is definitely a nice thing to have in those middle rounds, it is a double-edged sword in auction drafts. And people don't necessarily realize that until it's too late. Because if you're the type of player where you save up all your money and you're like, nah, I want to make sure that I have a ton left so then I could just bid on all the players that I want, you'll eventually find that you're going to have to spend $4, $5, $10 on players that you would otherwise maybe get for a dollar or two if you had just spent your money elsewhere. So in the same way that maybe paying 3 or $4 here and there doesn't hurt you now, but will hurt you down the line. The same thing can go with saving money. It is a very, very delicate draft format where you have to be able to measure the market, look at your team and understand, okay, now is a good, now is a good spot for me to start to spend my cash. This is where I think that after I start spending this money, I would otherwise have to overpay for players where I could just get them for a dollar or two. So I'm not saying don't save your money. I'm saying that don't save it for too long because you will eventually find that your team will suffer in the long run from overpaying on your bench. Wow. We have covered general draft strategy, tight end strategy, kicker strategy, defense strategy, the first eight rounds of your draft where you're getting your starting players and guys that we like at each position in each round. 
we hit on auction, we hit on keeper, we hit on our late round targets and our late round fades, you are now set to dominate your draft. And again, if you're looking for the specific rankings and you want your hand held, that's fine. We don't judge. We don't judge at all. If you're playing fantasy football, you're a friend of ours. Go to playerprofiler.com. Check out our draft kit under fantasy tools. That will have full rankings for PPR, half PPR standard, and for one QB and for Superflex for those three formats. You'll also get auction values for all six of those formats. And you'll even get our underdog best ball rankings. If you want to sneak in a few more best ball drafts, the, the puppy three is here. Best ball mania is here still. There are drafts to be done on underdog and you'll get those rankings as well. You're going to get team insights. You're going to get player projections for every single potentially fantasy relevant player out there. Over 250 player projections. Wow. Now, on that note, we, we've had a killer show. We're going to help some people win some leagues this year. I've got burritos to eat. But before we go, Michael, give us your signature hot take for the 2021 season. For the 2021 season... If you have seen my Twitter, and if you were one of the listeners early who saw my Twitter handle and decided to give me a follow, you'll see that my pinned tweet talks about Tua Tagovailoa being a breakout quarterback, eventually leading the Dolphins to a Super Bowl. But before he does that, in 2021, Tua Tagovailoa will finish as a QB1 in fantasy. That is my hot take of the year. I got to go settle down. I got to go cool myself off. You go have your burritos, Josh. This was such a fun show. I really, really appreciate you having me on. Thank you for this. This is what I look forward to this whole summer, man. This is great. Nice. I like that you paused because then we can drop the music and then we'll fade into the outtakes. Yeah. I, I really like Tua. He's one of my, my big targets in both best ball and redraft because... Uh, the prospect profile is good. He has just like really ridiculous weaponry when you think about it compared to what he had last year. Compared to last year where Matt Collins was a wide receiver one in some weeks. Now it takes in, it'll take injuries to Miles Gaskin, Mike Gesicki, Devontae Parker, Jalen Waddle, Will Fuller, and Preston Williams. Six players to get to that. Yeah, I mean, Gaskin didn't play every game. Uh, Devontae Parker didn't play every game. There were games where it was like Gesicki, Jakeem Grant, Matt Collins. Yeah. Uh, Even after a while, Gesicki was hurt. I remember the Chiefs game. He Oh, that's right. Even he against, missed a game. It was the Chiefs game where he didn't have Parker, Williams, Gesicki, Jakeem Grant, Miles Gaskin, or Savan Ahmed. And they only lost in a two-minute drill at the end of the game against the Chiefs. Because they, they had, what, Lynn Bowden Jr. and Matt Collins were the leading receivers in that game unbelievable yeah the, the weaponry's upgraded it was, it was insane I love it. this yeah. was fun well i'm gonna it's time to watch this, this is super this fun chargers niners game just on time yes have such a have such a blast have so much fun hopefully editing won't take too long hopefully um, not um tried yo what's up i was saying try to keep some of my 
verbal pauses at a minimum. I know that there are points where... Oh, I get rid of all pauses. You don't have to worry. Yeah, the, cool. the software takes care of pauses. Dope. Yeah. Matt, Matt has taught me well with the editor. Nice. Are you going to watch this game or do you have more RA training? 